Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, May the 20th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And on the line with Ms. Stephanie Cook. Aloha. All right. uh, Steve is not with us this week. We want to send our thoughts uh, to Steve and his girlfriend, Bronwyn, um, at a a, a personal matter that's going on, and uh, it's not really our place to talk about it on the show, but... Um, just send your good wishes and thoughts to both Steve and Bron. We're thinking about you guys, and uh, you know we love you, and uh, we look forward to talking to Steve next week. And um, you know, just best wishes to Bron and, and everyone in her life as well. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so, Supergirl. <laughs> yeah. Good. I don't know how to transition out out, out of that. Uh, just go for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so there's three of us, and we're gonna be we're marching along. We're gonna talk a little about Supergirl because that that trailer premiered. It's so funny the way that kind of like the internet works as, as as an entity because that came out i think on thursday i think i think it was wednesday or thursday mm-hmm. maybe it was wednesday and i feel like it was three weeks ago that it happened <laughs> like, i can't believe that we haven't done a show since it happened because six thousand other things that don't matter have happened in between that that have uh <laughs> distracted me <laughs> from from all that stuff um but yeah uh just diving right into it supergirl uh cbs show uh, executive produced by Greg Berlanti, who does Arrow and the Flash, and The Legends of Tomorrow, which is another TV show, superhero TV show trailer that premiered, uh, showed its first <laughs> showed its first uh, footage, um, and, and in a six minute kind of trailer for was probably the pilot plus a little bit more. I'm, I'm going to assume uh, we get our first look at really as uh, at Melissa Benoist as Kara Zor-El. And kind of the cast around her, Clista Flockhart as Cat Grant. Um, I don't know the actor's name who's playing James Olsen. Um, mm. Hank Henshaw as, as well. Um, uh, we, got, we, got a, we got a very, I think, a very good idea of what the tone and tenor of that show is going to be. Um, Stephanie, uh, you know, I, I heard you, you, I think you tweeted, I saw you tweet about it like once or twice, but mm-hmm. um, what did you think of, of that, that six minutes and, and are you excited for Supergirl? Absolutely. I loved the trailer so much. And, you know, I watched it. I got way into it. And then, you know, I'm on Twitter and everyone's like, this is worse. Yeah, yeah. What? Oh, what's this? Her costume? Ugh. And I'm like, do you all hate joy? <laughs> this looks delightful. What's wrong with you? I thought that it just exuded positive messages for young women and, you know, focused on a character that's likable and, you know, is doing all this for the right reasons. Um, A lot of people have obviously compared it to The Devil Wears Prada. And obviously that's uh, a pretty apt comparison with Callista Flockhart. But, you know, like, I'm really kind of 
over that comparison. You know, Callista Flockhart delivers a powerhouse message in that trailer alone about girls and what it means to be a girl. And, like, I'm so on board with that. Um, I thought she was great in the trailer. I thought uh, Jimmy Olsen was great. I thought Melissa was great. I thought everyone who made an appearance was fantastic. People are saying that it's, you know, very rom-com-y. But, like, I don't really see that. You know, normally in, like, rom-coms, you have a girl pining after a dude and, like, you know, being like, oh, I wish she loved me. (laughs) And she loves her job. She loves her family. She loves the fact that she can be a superhero and save lives. The only thing I didn't see her loving in that trailer was a boy. (laughs) I thought it was so, so, so great. And, um, you know... I, I want people to also note that there's this double standard for Callista Flockhart's character, you know, um, for women. They're, she's like a high-powered, like, executive, big company, you know, and she's the boss. She's allowed to be bossy, you know? Like, if a dude was in that position, nobody would be like, ugh, she's su- he's such a bitch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was Perry White. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's the boss. Mm-hmm. She's the boss. Get over it. Don't make Devil Wears Prada comparisons. Women can be in power and be awesome. Um, I don't think she needs to justify, you know, being higher up than the people that she's higher up than. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that everything about it was perfect. It spoke to me. And I think it will speak to, you know, oodles and oodles of girls that are teenagers and give them a really positive role model to grow up with, you know, alongside the arrow, the flash and all these other really great superhero shows that are springing up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Bob, what about you? Spoke to me too, quite honestly, <laughs> though I have to say when I first started watching it, it was as if I were watching a spoof of that black widow trailer spoof. <laughs> but as it played out within that six minutes, there's a genuine arc. Mm. And I hope they haven't given too much away, but I really enjoyed the tone of it, really enjoyed her growing into the character. She has conversations of all sorts with all sorts of people. She's growing within it. She wants to do the right thing for the right reasons, and isn't that a great message in and of itself? The effects didn't look bad to me for mm. television. We have to say they're not going to be movie effects. We don't even know. These might not be finished yet. Yeah, I mean, like, I, that's one of the criticisms. Like, I, again, these might be the effects we see, and they're they're fine. They're not they're not amazing, but they're not bad either. Um, but we're also, I mean, we're what is it? It's May right now. We're we're four or five months out yeah. from when that show actually airs. So those effects are going to look different when, sure. when we actually get to the, 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 the finished product. Yeah. As I looked at this, this is exactly the sort of Supergirl show I'd want to see. That it's a sort of combination of some of what we've seen recently, the Mike Johnson stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of sort of the Peter David era thrown in there as well. And she's very independent and yet still requires a supporting cast and a group of friends. And it seems as if there's going to be some real genuine drama and humor and action. Mm. And wow, yeah. great, great stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. I, you know, I got, I watched it, I watched it a couple of times and I got kind of caught up emotionally in it a, a few times because there's something just something about seeing somebody wearing that symbol on their chest mm-hmm. doing the things that that, that she's doing uh, i think the marketing w- was really good and i also think you know i said this on twitter about this but 
it shares a lot in common with the trailer we saw for The Flash, you know, this time last year before The mm-hmm. Flash premiered. And, uh, you know, th- there, there, there's a couple things that I think are interesting because it still needs to be a TV show, right? So there needs to be things that take it week to week. And I, I didn't know what that was going to be before I saw that trailer. And I, I think the idea of this kind of the government organization aspect of it, I think works. It gives you a villain every week to, to yep. work with. You need a place of employment like that. Cause you, that also is a, a TV show has to happen every week. So there has to be a place to have stories every week. And I like the idea that, you know, she, she's kind of not, she's kind of also following in, you know, her cousin's footsteps mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I, I love that we're working at a newspaper or, or a magazine. Yeah. We're not totally sure exactly what, what it's like a media empire, I guess that, that cat grant has, um, I think Calista Flockhart is great casting for Cat Grant, uh, a character that I never really thought I'd see in, in, a, in a, sure. any sort of main media. But that's the story of the last couple of years, right? Is I can't believe they did this and I can't believe they did mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, I I'm happy that they're not shying away from Superman existing. Obviously, he's not going to be a main force in the show, but it would have been distracting to me if they had tried to pretend another origin. You know, f- for her that didn't include that other stuff. But I, overall, you know, the thing I took away from the most was I think Melissa Benoist looks great. I think she looks extremely likable. I think that the the show looks hopeful. It looks full of hope. It looks optimistic. And it looks like something that's going to be stirring, you know, and it's going to embrace the her- the heroic nature of, of the character. I loved that photo uh, that was tweeted not too long ago. I think maybe today even. Um, where Grant Gustin and her yes, the cover are in their magazine. costumes yeah. just smiling. And I was like, this makes me so happy. Yeah. To, like, I don't even know what they're smiling about, but like the fact that they're just like superheroes smiling, mm-hmm. like I'm like, oh, this is good. <laughs> they, they, somebody joked around like, you know, um, put it in kind of like the Batman v Superman thing. And it was, it was Grant Gustin saying to her, don't you think kittens are adorable? <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, I mean, uh, a lot of men's rights activists. I was talking about this on Misfits this week. Um, were really upset about this trailer, and I found this Tumblr post. And like, can I just read a couple things sure. off of it for a second? Sure. So it's like men's rights activists have recently lost their minds at the trailer for the upcoming CBS show Supergirl, alarmed that a female-led show might include such things as romance, <laughs> comedy, and most offensive of all, women taking <laughs> controversial roles like employer and sister, while men have been relegated to merely all the other roles on the show. They've vented their fury on the internet rather than merely choosing to not watch the thing. <laughs> Still, to give them apparently a much-needed ego boost... Uh, the girl who wrote this, she composed uh, the following synopsis of a 13 half episode uh, season of Supergirl, which is tailored to their priorities and their giant baby idiot concerns. <laughs> uh, so the pilot, Supergirl arrives on Earth, is informed that there is already a man flying around and saving people's lives, realizes that it would merely be tokenism for her to st- star in her own show and immediately retires from superheroing. Rest of the episode is dedicated to her male coworkers playing an epic all-night Call of Duty scenario. <laughs> episode two. I won't read all of them, just a few. Uh, the parasite attacks downtown. Supergirl is rendered helpless when the power-leeching supervillain dons a shirt reading, Cool story, babe. Now go make me a sandwich. <laughs> Spends rest of the episode making sandwiches. Uh, Terra Man attacks downtown. Supergirl is rendered helpless when he accuses her of being... A fake geek girl who doesn't even know that Jimmy Olsen is supposed to be white. (laughs) Um, And then 
Vartax attacks downtown. Supergirl is once again rendered helpless by his constant fedora tipping and use of the term milady. Because he is nice to her, ancient Kryptonian law dictates that she is required to be his girlfriend. Um, and there's about like 13, like there's seriously 13 episodes. It's like, I, I laughed. So great. Um, episode 12, misandry attacks. Supergirl defeats it by chanting, men are good, men are great. Feminism is a form of hate. Until it gives up and makes sandwiches. They're really great. So, needless to say, I'm super stoked about the Supergirl show. And I, I thought that the the marketing for it was very smart. With the it's not a bird, it's not a plane, it's not a man. Yeah, Supergirl. I thought was I thought was was great. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think that I I you know the Flash is ending its first season as we speak right now, and, and I, I I I loved that I love that show. And and if this is in that same tone and tenor, then I'm I'm totally in for it. Uh, did, did you watch the finale for Arrow? I did, yes. And did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. I you know I think that it's the weakest finale of the three seasons, um, but I think the other two finales were you know fantastic. Um, I think the season overall is better than season one, but not as good as season two. That's kind of mm. my feeling about it. I like some of the places they took Ollie during the season. Um, I think the show hit a little bit of a rut. Um, as far as just kind of repeating storylines a little bit too much, and I hope they move away from that as as we go to the next season. Um, but they did leave the show an interesting, like what's going to happen now type of scenario. Um, so I, I'm interested to see what what, go, what goes on after that. Um, I like yeah. I like where they've taken certain characters though. Like I think where Laurel is now is, is obviously, I mean it's like a thousand miles better than it was at the end of season two. Um, yeah, and I think I, I really like where Thea so is right now as well. So. Oh my god, I love Thea. It, it, Finally, yeah. I don't hate her. <laughs> I thought for sure when there was a thing with her and Ollie, where Ollie's trying to kind of uh, have a heart to heart and mm. tell her some things, and I thought she was gonna, you know, pull a Laurel. Mm. And the way she handled that, I was just like, "Bless you, writers of Arrow." Yeah, it was a Bless great you. scene. Yeah, it was Thank a great you. scene. Yeah. Thank you for not making her be like. The wet blanket. Yeah, I, I, you could definitely feel it like, oh, we did this already. So let's let's be, let's be surprising. Oh like, my god, it's just great to feel, you know, about a show that you like. Um, I mean, what do you think yeah. of it overall, Stephanie? It was good. I it lost me for a little bit, and then I got back into it. And then you know, like I, sometimes I was like, <laughs> and other times it was really good. Um, you know, like most shows that have twenty three episodes or yeah. so. Um, There's gonna be ups and downs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I. There, again, there's some characters that, like, I don't like where they went with them. Um, I, I won't spoil anything as far as um, the show goes, but Laurel, she gets, um, like, the canary cry. Like, they give her um, a necklace, like a, a choker kind of thing to wear so that she can do, like, an actual cry as opposed to, like, have the device that Sarah had. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I think it's cool but she looks so stupid. <laughs> like, it's it's cool and it's much more practical than having a device in your hand. Like, you can go take them down while you're, you know, mm -hmm. doing whatever. But, like, she looks so stupid. <laughs> like, just so stupid. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm really looking... When I saw the trailer for Legends of Tomorrow yes. and I saw the return of a certain character, I was like, yes! <laughs> like, thank God! Um, Katie Lotz is so amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, she, that look, and I, like I said, that trailer as well was very exciting to mm-hmm. me. I don't know if you saw it, but yes. um, mm-hmm. um, I, I just love that they're time traveling superheroes fighting Vandal Savage. It's such like a, it's yeah. looks crazy and fun, and and I'm I'm I like the fact there's a couple of villains on the team because it brings like a sort of, you know a good like you know ant- antagonism to the to the team. I'm 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 excited about that show. Uh, Vandal Savage and, um, is my favorite DC villain, not counting okay. the, some of the big ones. Mm. To me, he's still a Justice Society guy, but, you know, <laughs> who knows what's going to come of this because we have yeah. Rip Hunter involved. Yes. <laughs> and I won't say too much, but there are some interesting rumors about how Flash ends. Yeah, yeah I've heard well, some We won't rumors say that, anything no, no, until no. next week. No, no. <laughs> um, I have to catch up on that. Yeah. But mm. I also caught up on all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Which, and which was great, I think. Yeah, yeah. I really, really like how they brought in, like, the Inhumans mm-hmm. uh, because, obviously, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a lot more... Um, not realistic, but you know, there's not uh, like the Avengers exist, obviously, but they're mostly kind of based in uh, a sort of reality. Yeah, it's more yeah. of a spy show than it is a superhero yeah. show. Yeah, but and they kind of had to bring about the Inhumans mm-hmm. in um, a way that suited that, and I thought they did a really excellent job of doing that um, and building up a natural kind of arc surrounding the Inhumans. Um, so that was really cool. And I finally don't hate the characters that I've hated for like a season and a half. Right. Well, what's his yeah. name is super interesting now that he's like the worst person in the world. Blandy yeah. McBland. Yeah. Now, yeah. like, <laughs> now that he's owning it and he's not just like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I yeah. did a bad. Um, like, I, I, I like it. Yeah. I like that he's just like, yeah, gonna yeah. just burn the world down. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Um, so much better. I I thought that I, I like this whole season. I mean, I think that Kyle McLaughlin's character has been mm-hmm. just fantastic. Yes, he really grew on me. I hated him, and then like <laughs> I loved to hate him. Mm-hmm. And um, Adrian Pollocky was amazing. Oh, yeah. oh the best. Yes. Yeah, she's a- she did such a good job as Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Um, like I. Thought I would like her. I didn't expect to like just straight up love her character. Yeah. Um. I didn't like. Um. Again, I don't think I liked the arc where there was like two things going on. Two. Um. Official. Yes. She, yes. Yeah. Know exactly um, what you mean. I hated that, and I hated that there was like this division between everybody. Um. But it all seemed to resolve, and. uh I, I wound up really enjoying it by the time the finale hit. And I'm really upset about what happened in, like, the last, like, five seconds yes. of the show. Yes. Screw you, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Screw you. Like, Just when you thought it was safe. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great finale. I mean, Bob, I know you've been watching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it really great payoff. We, we did get the Inhumans, and we still mm-hmm. have the Kree and Terrigen mm-hmm. Mist. But mm-hmm. just as Stephanie's saying, you had to bring it into this kind of a world. Yeah. But it's still awfully screwy for television. You're talking about alien races and yeah. artifacts and all the rest of it. And what I take from it is we have, I can't say too much, mm-hmm. we have characters that, that end up in much different places than you would have thought. Mm-hmm. And yet they're still all in play in whatever yeah. way you want to use them. And that's that's clever. It's really clever. And moving forward, there are 14 storylines open, spinoffs and mm-hmm. whatever. With Adrian yeah. Palicki, you know what I really feel bad about? You see her here. She really could have been Wonder Woman. Just and really she just in the she got put in the wrong show at the wrong time. But she has the gravitas to have done this and mm-hmm. really nailed Especially it. Especially at the beginning when she has the dark hair. Yep. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is a shame. Like, I, I like her. Uh I even love those G.I. Joe movies. Like, I know they're bad, but I love them. <laughs> um, 
and I thought she was great in those too. Yeah, she's awesome. That moment, there's a moment in the finale, right, where she's kind of getting tortured, right, mm-hmm. and she's the thing where she's kind of getting tortured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, and she looks kinda definitely. She looks up at her torturer, and the look she gives him is like the most badass, scariest yeah. look I've ever seen in my yeah. life, a- and. I was talking to my mom about the show, actually, and I talked to her. She goes, oh, my God. She goes, I want to be her. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's just great. They did a great job with her character. I think they've done a freaking awesome job with Sky's character. Like, I, I generally think like she's just a great television character at this point. And, yeah, the show, once the show kind of found that groove at the end of the first season, once that, with the Winter Soldier kind of Fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. stuff happened, the, the show has been on the rise, and I think this whole season it's just moved yeah. Um, um, really, really well. Those first eight. And like, I, I feel like. Oops, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Steph. Adrian like genuinely loves comics too. Her brother is a comic book artist. Yes, I, oh, I, really? I, I learned that this week reading a story about the Agents of Shield. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he's on Twitter, Eric Palicki, mm-hmm. and uh, he's really talented. And you know, like I can see probably that. I, I don't know if she grew up with comics, but obviously I feel like he did. So maybe it's leaked in, or maybe she also just you know, yeah, absolutely. whatever. But I I feel. Uh, like it's a really cool thing that they're both really steeped in um, geekdom. Yeah, I would love to see a team up between her and Black Widow. Oh, oh my yeah. god, <laughs> it would be amazing. I love her. Like I just felt like it's like um you know I really like Katie Lots as Black Canary because mm-hmm. she's this she's actually like a dancer in real life. I'm sorry if there's like a really loud loud dog barking. <laughs> um, but anyways, there. They're, um, she's a dancer, and so, you know, the choreography comes really natural to her when she's fighting. Like, it looks real. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, uh, Katie Cassidy doesn't really have that yet no, to me. No, she doesn't, no. Um, but, you know, with Adrienne Pollocky, the same sort of thing applies uh, to why I loved Katie Lotz in Arrow. You know, she just, the, the choreography feels natural, and she looks like she's kicking ass. Like, Gina Carano, I love her in like Haywire and stuff because mm. she's like a legit fighter and you believe that she's kicking people's asses. Yeah. And the same thing goes here. Like it, there's just a sense of realism and she's an amazing character that I have just loved throughout this season. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that, there's a moment, right? I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil anything. This is not finale. This is before the finale where uh, she kind of ends up on uh, opposing, right? Our, our shield friends. Mm. And you, you have a moment where you're like, well, this is this is over for them because yeah. there's no there's no one that can beat her, you know. And, and you have that like stand up in her and Agent May, which it makes you realize how badass both the characters yeah. are. But you already know May is a badass, right? Yeah. And you know that she's a badass. But it's not until you f- see them in the same room together yeah. about to fight where you're like, oh, like they're a match like, for each it's other. It's on now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and like I loved how they evolved Sky. Yes. I loved I loved uh, again. I I don't want to spoil anything, but there's this great scene um, in the finale where may uses her brains over just like Mm -hmm. kicking everyone's ass yes she knows she could beat everybody Mm -hmm. but she doesn't she uses her intelligence to control the situation and i thought that kind of uh turnaround with the characters to kind of show um a different side of them was interesting it made the show um a lot more fun to watch absolutely Absolutely. So yeah, it's been a it was a good wrap up for the comic book shows that I watch. Just gonna, I'm 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 actually most excited for the Flash, so I'm I'm very excited to watch that later. But uh, yeah, comic book shows doing well. How's iZombie holding up? 
you know, it's really good. Yeah, I haven't. I've I fallen behind a couple episodes, but every episode I've watched, I've I've absolutely loved. The last one, like. <laughs> they did something and I'm so angry and I'm like, no, you monsters. I I was just starting to like, oh no. Um, it's really good. Again, it's uh very very different from the comics, but at the same time, it isn't. You know, like it still maintains the tone, uh, and overall kind of charm that the comics had, and um, I'm really enjoying it. I think. The way they're incorporating um, Liv and her consumption of the brains and how she kind of, uh, you know, works with that is great. I think everyone cast in the show has been doing a phenomenal job. And I think it's, you know, definitely worth your time. If you were one of the people that didn't want to watch it because it had strayed so far from the comics, take, you know, solace in the fact that the creators of the comic love the show they love the direction it's gone in and you should too yeah i mean it's just and it's so cleverly written and, and so well written um and yeah it's just it and it it, it it it's a kind of different space than most shows on tv and it just has a different vibe to it than than most shows which, which i think is great uh, um one more quick thing because i know bob will appreciate this uh last night i watched the pilot for the 2012 Mockingbird Lane. Oh, the uh, monsters. Yes. Okay. Did you have you seen <laughs> Never it? Never seen it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Bob, you would love it. It was it's Brian Fuller uh, pushing daisies, wonderfalls, ah. and I like seriously contemplated sobbing on my couch for a little while at the fact that this show just never happened. Like, had this pilot aired two, three years later, like now, Hulu or Netflix would have picked it up, but like. It's just dead. Aww. And I'm so sad because it was so clever and so well written. It was always uh, a fun show in its time. It was a little more slapsticky than Adam's family was, but there was always a lovely little undercurrent of respect for those classic monster characters and whatever. And it was an interesting situation. Was this as directly funny or was as was, was pushing daisies kind of a little bit of both? What was going on there? This was this was clever and kind of cheeky and still had the respect for the monsters, uh, like the classic monsters. You know, the, the little boy, um, he's a werewolf, but his parents haven't told him yet. Like, they don't know how to <laughs> let him know that he's become a werewolf. Um, and, it, like, you know, he's on a camping trip with um, the Boy Scouts and a baby bear attacks. And he's like, I don't remember any of this. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's this great moment when they're at dinner and they're having um, his, like, troop leader over. And uh, there's, like, just meat everywhere, you know, like, because there's Dracula and uh, Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. And this little boy who's a werewolf and they're like, hmm, meat, eat away. And he's like, I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) like, they, you know, tell him a little bit after this. They're like you can't be a vegetarian. You're a werewolf. And he's like, but I don't want to be a werewolf. I want to be a vegetarian. And like, it's just, that's great. It's so clever. It's so fun. Um, I love that there's this beautiful character who looks like Gwen Stefani on the show, Marilyn. Mm-hmm. And um, she's the only normal person in the family and uh, everyone hates her. <laughs> and like, 
you know, in any other family, she'd be like the golden child, but because she's normal, you know, they're like, boo hiss. Well, in the original, they all pitied her. She was the ugly one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eddie Izzard is in it, um, and he plays Grandpa. Oh, that's brilliant. And Dracula. Yeah. And uh, he's just like, Marilyn has a condition. Um, like he, it's it's so perfect, Bob. You need to find this yeah. episode and watch it because I know for a fact you of all people would love this. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, hanging out in the oh yes. deep, deep reaches there. I honestly thought, like, I brought it up because I thought you would have seen it. So first time I remember hearing something about it a couple of years ago, and it was totally out of my head. Mm. Bob, it's perfect. Go watch it. <laughs> yeah, they've done so many attempts at remaking the monsters, and none of them ever worked. Edward Herman, John Shuck, at one point did a pilot. I need this to exist. I need to find a way to make this show happen. Yeah, like Brian I Fuller's want... moved on, Stephanie. No, no, Brian Fuller, you have not. <laughs> you, you shall not move on. Uh, Kickstarter. That's what we'll do. I know. I don't think they can Netflix. kick NBC owns Netflix it. has money oh. coming out the wazoo. Yeah, pretty sure Universal owns that property. Yeah, well, they own those monsters. So, and yeah. they own NBC. Yeah. So, <laughs> it is so good, so good. All right. Actually, so, but did the monster movies are about to do maybe take it out too because they want to go serious with Dracula and Wolfman? This and was like maybe? three or so years ago. This was before oh, they before even that, had okay. that idea. This one's from 2012. <clears throat> they didn't sign that deal or that idea until like late early last year or something like that. Is when they, gotcha. they came to that yeah. thing with the Kurtzman and Orsi, I think, or the people were doing it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's move on to some some comic books here, Bob. Lightning round time. Okie dokie. You have three <laughs> minutes and go. Okay, Secret Wars number two. Look, at some level to me, this felt very disconnected from issue one. So you're kind of thrown right back into the deep end all over again, rather like the film Memento. You don't know, you don't have no short-term memory. It's all very Elseworldsy and what iffy, and it leads me to feel I might have to go one more, even if I'm still not really liking what's going on here, but uh, one more, I guess. Uh, dealing with the afters of all this is the first last day's issue. It's issue eight of Captain America and the Mighty Avengers, Al Ewing and Luke Ross. Uh, Steve Rogers brings news of the world's demise of this group, which ties them back into this event. And the finale, as the Blue Marvel and Monica Rambeau basically read T'Challa and, and Reed Richards' The Riot Act over, like, what are you people doing? You did nothing while all this was going on. Kind of is the way I feel about the whole event. So that's there's that. Uh, speaking of last day, Storm 11 is the final issue of this great series by Greg Pak and Victor Ibanez. And it's a really a great conclusion that speaks to all the strongest characteristics of Aurora Monroe's sales. Sad that one is going. The just before last day's tag can be applied to Ms. Marvel number 15, which doesn't feel rushed in the least. Kamala's first crush turns out to have some interesting, well, ideas and running mates. And the whole story takes place in the Inhumans Fortress City. Uh, lots of cool stuff with Bruno, usual fine characterization by G. Willow Wilson. This time we've got sort of manga-styled art by Takeshi Miyazawa. I think I did that nearly closely right. Uh, Silk number four, just amazing. Cindy visits the FF on Peter Parker's recommendation, which leads to her having a night out with Johnny Storm, which doesn't go as planned as some things n- never will. This is just one of my absolute new favorites. And if you were telling me Spider-Gwen or this, I would have said Spider-Gwen, but Silk has just been amazing issue to issue. And Spider-Gwen's getting good too, though. Uh, let's go. Thor number eight. I'm not going to say too much about this because honestly, I think people are still playing catch up, but so I'd rather be safe than sorry. But uh, next week, all bets are off. I'm just (laughs) going to go for it. But Jason Aaron, Russell Dowderman made the reveal so beautiful and special. Uh, if, If you thought this was all some sort of gimmick, it pays off huge. Just a marvelous book. The art's incredible. Story even better. 
and that's saying something because this is one of the most gorgeous books on the stand. So that's it for me, except saying Lady Killer 5 came out. You should all buy the trade paperback because it was pretty darn amazing. Josie might have another series to go because Joel Jones, who wrote it, apparently Jamie Rich is going to go run Vertigo. Oh. So she's got more ideas, according to the afterwards in the back. So we'll see some more of Josie Schuller. Very cool. Very cool. Bob had 20 seconds left, of course. Um, no. Well, then there was Howard the Duck number three, which is pretty good. Yeah, which I'll talk about in my... <laughs> okay. Um, so you mentioned Secret Wars, and you know I was listening to uh, Justin and Rob's show, Backup Stories, and you know, he talked about how um, you know th- this this was an issue where that was more friendly for people to read not because it makes any more sense but because now everyone's on the same footing with with yes not knowing what the hell is going on and i definitely liked it a lot more than the first issue this felt like the beginning of something it didn't feel like the end of something which my biggest complaint about secret wars number one was the fact that it felt like the end like avengers 45 to me not like the beginning of something new uh you know the secret wars number two for me is kind of the right amount of crazy like I, i'm not in love with the the, the event yet um, i don't know if I, I ever will be but i i liked the the big ideas at play here mm-hmm. and just the how the fact that there's all of these thors and what does this whole entire world mean and what actually battle world ends up being and all that kind of stuff i i, I found it more interesting than i expected to you know i was like okay it's a bunch of different you know, people fighting from different yeah. different areas, and it's a little bit more than that, right? There's a little bit more going on. There's some politics going on, uh, and I like the political aspect of it. You know, the it's more like royal politics and not like you know like Republican Democrat yeah. politics, which, which I liked. You know, and like you said, it's kind of like a what if sort of yeah, story. A little House of M going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, and I like seeing stories like that. You know, I like seeing like, oh, this character is in a weird role that they, they aren't usually in. Like, you know, Stephen Strange being the sheriff and, you know, you know what the, the, the what the wastelands are and, you know, these weird areas and, and what the Thors actually do and all this kind of stuff. I it, There was enough going on that I'm not used to seeing that it, it piqued my interest to see where where we go f- from mm. here. Um, and I thought the art was, was, was very nice as well. The, the book looks very good. Um, so all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, um, and just as we, I predicted last week, you, about the first four or five pages, big moments from Secret Wars number one yeah. are completely shoved under the bus. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had said that I don't think, I didn't think the deaths were going to be lasting at all. And I'd proved me right very quickly. <laughs> so it didn't change the universe forever. Well, it does. It does change oh. the universe. Um, seemingly forever since we're rebooting the universe after this. But, uh, I mean, the universe is completely different, don't get me wrong. But the, in the first issue, they played at, like, um, some character deaths that, that, that they kind of teased. And, I mean, at least four or five of them get reversed almost immediately here. But, uh, depending on which versions of them they well, are. We right, are still, right. yeah. Yes. But, yeah, there are characters who were gone who are not. Yes. Yes. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um... It's interesting. I mentioned last week we slogged through 80-odd issues Mm -hmm. of Avengers, New Avengers, and a couple of sidebar things to get to this. And just as you say, if everything that just happened got wiped away, Mm. you're going to have to read three or four more to see how it all ties back in as it comes out the other side of this black hole or the... Mm -hmm. the, I was going to say Convergence, but that's the other company. That's the other company. (laughs) That's the other company, Bob. You know, I don't know. Like, like, again, like, I'm not... 
I definitely liked it more than issue one. I'm not fully in there, but I can appreciate the scale of imagination at play that that's happening here. Mm-hmm. I guess is what more what it was for me. Uh, and about Thor number eight, I absolutely loved it. I think that the the reveal is great. I got spoiled on it before it happened, um, which sucked. But I kind of deliberately spoiled it because I was sick of the wait. <laughs> I, was, I did not deliberately spoil it, so I just got spoiled on it because Marvel decided to release it officially the day before the book came out. Really? Yeah, which I don't understand at all when these comic companies do stuff like that. Oh. How does the writer feel about that? Yeah, I don't know. I might have sold them some extra books, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But... That's probably exactly why they did it. Um, but I, I thought it looked gorgeous, like you said. Um, I think the reveal is, is very nice, and, and I think it makes sense, and... You know, we know this character is continuing after this event happens, which I'm very excited mm-hmm. about. Um, hope and I hope that Jason Aaron gets to continue writing it as well, or wants to continue writing it after this, yeah. because there, he obviously has more to tell w- with this story. So yeah. yeah, next week we'll talk about it. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I just, I guess, p- yeah, public service announcement: if you're, I guess, if you're reading Thor, then Thor's is the secret. Wars book mm-hmm. that is written by Jason Aaron that you're going to want to read because it's going to have the characters that you uh-huh. want to read in them. Stephanie, you ready for the lightning round? Yes. You have three minutes. And oh, oh. <laughs> jump in the gun. So you weren't. Oh, okay. <laughs> and what? go. All right. So I finished up The Empty Man, uh, which was Cullen Bunn and Vanessa Del Rey's series from Boom. Um, super, super creepy. And I felt like. Uh, I got everything I wanted from the book. Uh, great art, great story. Colin Bunn has just been doing phenomenal work. I mean, you know, he did Fearless Defenders, and he's he did uh, Wolf Moon, which I talked about recently as well. Uh, we'll be talking more about him uh, in the later half of the show. And uh, this book is just awesome. It was really, really great. I loved everything about it um, as far as a horror comic goes. And uh, even though some stuff, you know, is kind of like, what's happening? It all comes together and makes, mostly makes sense uh, by the end. So I really enjoyed that. Definitely check it out. It's all complete now. Um, I continued with The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. I cannot say enough good things about this book. I love it so much. Like, Squirrel Girl cosplay is in my future. Um, (laughs) Along with... I want to get like a group together so that we can do all the alternate dimension squirrel girls too. Yes. Um, you know, like squirrel girl 2099 <laughs> and uh squirrel Earl, the gender yes. bent <laughs> squirrel guy. <laughs> oh my God. It was, I, I love this book. It is such a breath of fresh air. It is easily one of my favorites, uh, period, not just from this year or whenever. Uh, I think it's just perfect, completely perfect. Uh, I read Mythic Number One, who I don't remember who wrote this because I forgot to write it down. Thank you. Um, I am curious about this because, like, mythology is my jam. Like, I love mythology. Uh, This takes a really different kind of spin on everything. Like, everything that science has taught us to believe is actually all just lies to cover up the fact that the gods are really doing all the things that we thought (laughs) they were doing, you know, way back when. Uh, So basically the crazy people way back when were right and were wrong. Um, And there is this team that is in charge of making sure that all of those things, all the gods and goddesses, their conflicts don't mess up what's going on in our world. 
So they're like this weird cleanup team. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting concept, but it was a lot to fit into one issue to kind of draw you in regularly. Um, so I'm, I'm going to check out the second issue and see if it kind of evens out a bit. Uh, but uh, it, it's like uh, one thumbs up and one sort of, <laughs> which way could it go um, for me? And the last thing I want to quickly mention is uh, G. Willow Wilson's run on the X-Men. I think I mentioned this a little while ago, but I finished up with issue number 26 um, last night. And this was the X-Men series that I wanted it to be. You know, she wrote such a fantastic arc uh, that required me not having to read anything prior. Um, And I just loved every second of it. There wasn't any of this bitching and gabbing about who's going to be the leader. Like, you know, they all have, like, their flaws and stuff, but they're ultimately trying to work um, towards figuring out what's going on. And I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that Willow had been the one to uh, start this whole series off, and maybe I would still be reading it regularly. Um, I don't believe she's writing it after this. Um, am I wrong? Well, we don't. No. We don't know yeah. because we don't know oh, okay. who's writing X Men after the after oh, the right, event. Oh, right, right, Secret Wars. And yeah, all that. yeah. So we we don't know really what any of the teams are going to be. We know Mark Wade's writing an Avengers book, and we know that Charles Soule is writing an Inhumans book. But that's all we know really about post. Gotcha. Yeah, post uh, post Secret Wars Marvel. As far as the really okay. big books go. Yeah, those X well, books were amazing. All... Oops, sorry. Go ahead. No, those X books were amazing. Those. Yeah. The... You had so good. Um, Both was- they had to work together in a very tricky situation. Uh, their minds linked together in a way that harkens back to very old X Men sort of stuff, and every character acted the way you wanted them to be. You know, right to their core values and everything else. Monet, amazing. Storm, Betsy, just super super book. So glad that I managed to you know see it in the previews. And wait, gee, Willow Wilson's writing this. I got to get some I of these. Know. I know. I didn't know this, and somebody was like, oh, you might want to try reading this because it's, you know, G. Willow Wilson. And I was like, you're right. I do want to try reading this again. <laughs> um, and it really paid off to me. Uh, I thought that it was excellent. And I managed to not hate Jubilee throughout the entire thing. So, like, that's a feat and a half. Like, you go, girl. I, yep. Yeah. Yep. Mic drop. <laughs> G. Willow Wilson. Uh, I agree with you on Mythic, Stephanie. I really enjoy the concept that, that that it puts forth, but I feel like it's tailor-made for reading in a trade because yeah. the first issue, while good, and it's cheap, too, it's $1.99, so it's definitely wow. worth checking out and see if, see if it's your thing. And uh, the John McRae art is, is great. It looks The book looks great. It's designed really well, but it just doesn't feel like there's a whole issue's worth of stuff happening. Or, not that the issue isn't full, but it doesn't feel like enough of a story, right, to be a whole, I read this every month kind of thing. It feels like a section of a story that will read very, very well put together. But it's got a good spirit. It's got a good sense of humor to it. Um, I think the concept, like you said, Stephanie, about, no, there are, the sun rises and sets because there's like a dude on a chariot that pulls it back and forth. Like, that's the truth of the world. I, I think that's a fun you know, concept. So 
I definitely will check it out in trade, but for me, it wasn't a month to month type of book. Yeah. Did you read um? <clears throat> did you read Pisces as well? I did read Pisces. Yes. Because I felt the same sort of thing. Like I love Curtis's writing, and I love uh, Johnny Christmas's art. But the same sort of thing applied. Like it felt too much like something I would be able to enjoy in a trade. Yes, I totally but agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Too much for just the one issue. Like Curtis had. Um, a lot of ideas and a lot of concepts to try and fit into that beginning. And I don't think, I mean, it's not that it didn't work. It's just a lot. It is a lot. And it feels mostly like he's exclusively setting up that one character in that issue. And just for a month to month type of situation, it's a long time to wait without feeling you got a more completed issue than just sort of, here's the first, you know, section of this much larger story that we're going to eventually tell you. So I agree with you. I think it will read great as a trade, though, because it, it does have a lot of cool ideas. I'm uh, speaking of Pisces yeah. now. Same, similar to Mythic. Cool ideas, great art. Uh, and like you said, I trust Curtis to write something great. So I know that it will be that, but I don't know if I want to read that month to month. Yeah. It's like the opposite of Rat Queens in a lot of ways. Yes. Because Rat Queens is... I mean, it reads great together as well, but it's great to read month to month because it just has so much personality and so much self-contained uh, narrative happening within its larger narrative that it's great to read. Uh, and it's very memorable. Like, yes. It stays in your mind. Uh, and it's not a slight on the book, but it's not like it's high concept stuff. Mm -hmm. So your brain isn't trying to like pick apart what's going on and who's what and yes. what's happening. Like it's just really, it's, it's like the Flash, right? You know, yes. Oh. It's mindless, enjoyable fun that you can enjoy week to week, uh, and you don't need to kind of marathon it to enjoy. Yeah, um, and Pisces also, you know, it suffers. I think not suffers, but it, it has this thing where it's one of I don't know forty science fiction books yeah. coming out from Image. I think basically, so yeah. it's sometimes it's tough to go. Sometimes I'm like, oh, Pisces, what was, oh, that's one of the guy in the hospital who shows up late, and it's weirdly, he's also in Vietnam, and he's also in space, you know, then I'm like, okay, I know what it is, but sometimes you just think about it, I'm like, which science fiction book is this yeah. one that I'm thinking of? And it's I'm, like the fountain. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is happening? The fountain needs cloud atlas. <laughs> oh my God. The most confusing thing that's ever existed. <laughs> uh, oh, right. Bobby. Yes. What, what's your lightning round, Bobby? Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie. Um, You're welcome. My three minutes are starting now. So, uh, Saga, number 28, uh, this little known book that no one's really reading that, you know, I just want to make sure everybody knows about. Uh, it's just going to be great m month to month. And I, I think that it, it's one of those books that I, I think I thought it was going to be a book that I only wanted to read in trade, but I actually love reading it m month to month. Uh, and it was this book, this issue in particular made me realize that there are so many more characters than there were just maybe two arcs ago. Um, and, and I know them all and they're all integral parts. I never thought they'd be that. And, and the cast has just grown so much and I, and I really have a, a interested in all of them. Uh, anything with like the robot print stuff. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by constantly. Uh, Howard the duck number three, Bob alluded to it before. Hilarious, uh, fun issue. You know, it sees old people mugging people. <laughs> um, Aunt May getting accosted by Howard and, uh, but my favorite part of it is probably the little backup story that exists in it uh, that has Howard helping yeah. out these superhero impersonators. One of them in particular, uh, a Wolverine impersonator, is really upset because Wolverine hasn't been, hasn't been around and he hasn't been appearing in a thousand books. So he's losing his, 
you know, his his uh, his income for his life. But there's a really funny conversation that Howard has on the phone with Spider Man, which I just absolutely loved. He goes, "Hey, how are the wife and kids? Retconned? All right." And yeah. <laughs> going, it was really good. I love the book. Um, you know, I, I, I hope. I mean, we know that we're getting Howard the Human right during Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. Hoping that Howard the Duck is is back and, and keeps going after we all this stuff goes. Um, Uncanny Avengers number four. Uh, where we get the new, the much valued new origin of um, uh, Wanda and Pietro, and I, I, you know, from what I understand, it's much like the origin before they added the Magneto yes. to the yeah. origin. So I, you know, I explained to Bob before, and you know, it seems like they could come back from it at some point if they really wanted to. But the most important part about this issue is not that reveal; it's just that we continue this high evolutionary story on the Counter Earth, and I just loved it. I think it's high adventure, high fun. Uh, I absolutely love Sabretooth as a good guy. They do oh. really interesting stuff with him. His, his narration is by far my favorite thing in the entire in the entire issue. Uh, great art by Daniel Daniel Acuna. It just I just I think it's an excellent book. And I think if you like the Uncanny X Men, Uncanny X Force, sorry, that Rick Remender did, that you should be reading Uncanny Avengers. Or hopefully, I don't know if it's still going after Secret Wars. We don't know at this point. And I will say too, I talked about reading the first half of it last week. I finished the first arc of Manifest Destiny, uh, and really, really loved it. I, I'm de- I'm definitely I'm going to be buying the second arc, and it's just a ton of fun. I just love the kind of Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now ish part of it, but with this kind of wry sense of humor. It just uh, just turning into one of my favorite books, I think. Wow. Uh, really, really great stuff. And that's my, my lightning round. Very good, Bobby. Thank Very you, good. Stephanie. Thank you for your You're approval. Welcome. You know that your approval is just how I live my entire life. I can't really... I know. That's why I wanted to offer it for you. I, I appreciate it. I really, really... Saga is very good. I read it last night. Very good. What did you read? Saga. Saga? Oh, yes. It was good. Yep. It was. Yes. Um, I really like Gus a lot. Yes. <laughs> it And it ended like... I, I like that last page. The last page is amazing. Um, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I promise nothing. Saying that doesn't spoil anything until you no, get there. No, it doesn't. It doesn't even. It's, it's not even a spoiler while while, while reading it. Uh, it's just. It's just a great um, great page. So 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 good. Uh, I really like uh, the turn that Sophie's taking. Yes. Um, the character that she's really growing into. Mm-hmm. It's just great. I mean, it's just it's just now this kind of rich tapestry of all of these characters and all of these motivations, and he just does a great job of keeping them all straight. Like you never, um, you never get confused about motivations. Um, uh, even if I if if it's a month or two months or it's but the the three or the three months between arcs, I'm, I'm ne- I never forget what's happening. It's just very good at. at keeping everything cohesive and obviously everything looks so unique and amazing that that's definitely part of it. The design of it is definitely keeps you very clear on what who characters are and what they're doing. And, you know, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's, we can say it a million times. It's just a fantastic book. that just continues to be fantastic. Brian K. Who? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah. So Bob, you have some sales numbers in front of you. Sure. There. Well, let's, so we're talking about saga. Oh yeah. You want to hear something really amazing. Sure. Of the top 14 trade paperbacks, mm-hmm. four of them are Saga. Nice. It's the new Walking Dead. Yeah, well, the, the old Walking Dead is, was number one. I know. <laughs> but it's Saga's number th- uh, five, 12, 13, and 14. Nice. Fa- Fables is number three. Oh. Lumberjanes was number 10. Hmm. And something called Schmabies. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. From Boom, I'm going to have to look up. Mm. But uh, interesting sales that 
DC had a strategy with Convergence. You know, they're moving to the West Coast and all this sort of stuff. And what what could their event do for them? Whatever their sales person was who came up with it should get a raise because <laughs> of the top 102 books, 45 of them are Convergence or tie-ins. They <laughs> cut Marvel's leads to virtually the margin of error. Mm-hmm. Which hasn't happened in a good no. long time since that that all those covers the 3D things yes. the, what, a year and a half ago I yeah, guess it would have been the villains yeah month, yeah so they got it to uh, Marvel at 36 DC at 34 and of the top ten books four of them were Star Wars five of them were Convergence and one's Batman <laughs> the sort of usual thing Star Wars number four and I asked Bobby before he came on the part of a loot crate or some sort of promotion no two hundred and three thousand copies. Uh, Convergence number zero, 143. Convergence one, 132. Then Batman at 131. Now, Batman's usually around 105 or something. Yeah, yeah. So the Convergence brought 26,000 extra mm. eyes to Batman? Well, it was, no, it was also the final issue of Endgame with all that uh, promotion oh, okay. and stuff like that, too. So I think that's part of what it was. Okay, five Darth Vader, number four, still selling 123,000 copies. Then Convergence two and three, both uh, about 110. Uh I'm going to blow this pronunciation. Canon? Canon? Canon. Canon. I think Canon. Canon, the last Padawan. Yeah. 108,000. Whoa. 108,000. Whoa. That's yeah. crazy. Princess Leia, and it's Princess Leia number uh, three, still 102,000. Spider Gwen mm. at 102. Actually, I missed the conversions there. Uh, Deadpool at 96. Justice League 78, Harley Quinn 71. Number 16, Thor number seven, the issue before this one, mm-hmm. still at 71,000. So. People were hanging in, waiting for the reveal. Uh, then Convergence, Harley Quinn, 69,000. Amazing Spider-Man, 17.1 at 68. Uncanny Inhuman, 0, 067. And Walking Dead, 140 at 166, rounds out the top 20. Hmm. Uh, Saga, at still at 54,000 copies. Hmm. Certainly strong. It's a good month, right, for the sales? <laughs> it was a record month, up 20% versus the same wow. month previous year, 51% from five years, 39% from 10 years ago, 45% from 15 years ago. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of comic books. I mean, just reading those, the top 11 or 12, everything was pretty, close to 100,000, if not over. Right. And we were, number 12 was Spider-Man at 99,964. Yeah. We were down to about the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Now, it's hard to say. I mean, I was trying to look at the lumps of, you know, where these convergence things mm-hmm. falling. There might have been 43,000 or so people committed to buying all of these. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> which is, that that's yeah, staggering. Yeah, yeah. That speaks to a depth of love for what's going on and maybe the revisit to some of these characters because, mm-hmm. you know, you saw uh, Batgirl, 47,000, Nightwing Oracle, 50,000. People wanted to revisit this, and as we, we may see a change now as we move forward, you see some of these come back. We talked about how yeah. some of that could sort of happen. Um, now, for me, I, I buy books, you know, Storm, 13,000. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what the... I, I was really disappointed. Kaiju Max only sold 10,000 copies. Uh, that was so cute, though. I know, but that's pretty good for an yeah. Oni book like that. Um, it was Oni, right? Yes. Yeah, it was Oni. Yeah, but that was that was... Marvelous. I, I know, but I mean, you couldn't find it in any stores, so that, that's good. Yeah, I, I did, yeah. I did a lot of running around on it. Good numbers. Uh, last issue of Fantastic Four at, at $6 sold 40,000 copies. So maybe it will come back. Maybe who it knows, will. Who knows who's going to be in it, but... Um, Man, they... Uh, whew. Unfortunately, our Squirrel Girl is only at 20,000, but we don't have the digital numbers. And no. 
Axel Alonso was asked, he has a CBR weekly column, mm-hmm. so to speak, they interview him, and some t- Twitter person asked, what, I hear that, you know, you're, 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 Captain Marvel sells so many more copies digitally than print, well, why don't you tell us? <laughs> well, we, you know, they, they are selling very well, and one of these days, you know, we'll get around to, oh, come on. When when they have to tell you, they'll tell you. Yeah, when there's a lawsuit over yes. some creator's rights or his mm-hmm. uh, his or her check, there'll be something to go with that. I'm sure. I'm sure Willow knows how much it's uh, Ms. Ms. Marvel sells. Yeah, I'm sure, and I'm sure Kelly Sue knows how much. Mm-hmm. They have to tell him. Obviously, uh, I'm the, sure there's a residuals. non-disclosure. I, I don't think so. I think you're um, overestimating the amount of uh, respect that creators get by the big companies. Oh no, I'm not even saying about yeah. res- it's not about respect. It's it's just about the. Uh, I mean that, that equals out to like raw. I honestly don't think they numbers. do get those numbers. I mean I don't know if they get exact numbers, but they have to know how much they're making off of the sales. Yeah, of the I don't. Book. I honestly don't. I they know from what I know, they don't get those digital numbers. Hmm. Same as us. Interesting. Interesting. That is fascinating. Um, but Bob, when you mentioned Harley Quinn, I I was thinking of uh, they're they're filming Suicide Squad in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, and like. They're not subtle about it at all, and like us comic nerds, like we we share, you know, a lot of the same genes as the film nerds. So there's a lot of crossover, and a lot of our friends are, you know, filming things. So like, I know the code name for the movie. So like, whenever it's like blank, blank, like this is going here, and I'm like, ah, Suicide Squad, <laughs> um, and like, you know, they they're just taking over everything. But my friend is. Like she staked out, they were doing a Batman Joker car chase last night. Um, and so she was like staking out the whole thing. She got to see Will Smith and <laughs> the croc. And she's like, I just want to see Harley. I just want to see, like, she's a costume designer. She's like, I just want to see what her hot shorts are made of. <laughs> like, so good. They, uh, uh, I didn't realize that Harley Quinn was in uh, About Time, Stephanie. <laughs> So good. I watched that movie about time, the romantic comedy, uh, maybe by some people who made Love Actually. And uh, no, I didn't. I don't. Yeah, know it's great. This it's, one. It's, it's, it is amazing. Great movie. It's uh, really quick. The basis. Of, the basis is um, the men in this family they can time travel to okay. any any point in their life, but they have to you know they have to remember it and they have to be able to go back there. And so the story is about this one guy who in the family. And he says at the beginning, he's like, I'm going to use it to find someone to marry and fall in love with. And that's what the whole movie's about. And Rachel McAdams is the co-star in the movie. Uh, but Margot Robbie is in it. And I didn't even... I wow. Didn't, I didn't know she was in anything that I would have known before Wolf of Wall Street. But yeah, she's like um, his early love interest that ends up not being right for him kind of uh, Love actually was Bobby, so great. Yeah. Bobby texted me and he's mm-hmm. like, I finally watched About Time. And like I responded with, how many tears did you shed? <laughs> It's just great. Uh, it's wonderfully charming, wonderfully winning, and and I don't want to spoil anything about it, but it doesn't it it doesn't follow any of the kind of tropes. romantic movie tropes or rules. It completely breaks all of them in very interesting ways. Um, in a way that if I told you what how it did it, it would be like, oh, that might not be that like interesting to watch, but somehow it, it completely is. You have to watch it's it so play charming. Out. Yeah. Okay. Um, you guys need to watch. Uh, I'm I'm not like a huge romantic uh, drama kind of person, but like the, you know, well done ones I love. Mm. And um, the best one I've seen since About Time uh, is Age of Adeline with uh, Blake Lively and Michelle Huseman. Yeah, ju- that just and, came out in theaters here. Yes, yeah. I just saw it, and there are honest to goodness 
maybe five things that have made me cry, like ball my eyes out cry, like the finale of Six Feet Under being one of them. And like I was sobbing in the theater. It's so good. So good. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, On that sort of front, I know you've heard me recommend this from back in the old days, a movie called Happy Accidents from oh. 2001 with Vincent D'Onofrio and Marissa Tomei. She has very bad luck dating. And when you first see her, she's sitting around uh, a couch. She and her girlfriends are drinking wine, and they have a, a shoebox with old pictures in it. It's called The X-Files. E-X-Files. <laughs> and she comes across this really interesting but strange fellow. And I can't say too much to spoil it, but he is Vincent D'Onofrio, who's a very intense fellow generally, is now intense and weird. And it eventually comes out that he's got this story he tells about how he's a time traveler. And it's really bizarre. It, it goes in all sorts of interesting places. Is this happening? Is it not happening? What's what's the crux of it is that these two people have found each other in this weird way, and it plays out in a very real and, and bizarre way at the same time. Mm. It's, it's not easily put into a category. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 in the vein of what we're talking about here, I think. So it's not easy to find because stories don't stock weird. This is really weird in <laughs> indie, but it's called Happy Accidents. I can't believe Doesn't that it? Vincent D'Onofrio plays a weird person. That's yeah. crazy to me. Uh, what were you saying, Doesn't Stephanie? it shock you that we've gotten severely derailed on the show that I'm back, like, I know. blown on? <laughs> it is charming. We talked about, <laughs> n- I mean, at least they were, they were comic book focused at the beginning, but we talked for like a half an hour, not about comic books. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't even gone into <laughs> Mad Max yet. <laughs> no, we haven't, which we will. Oh, yes, I haven't will. seen it. Oh, you are, <gasps> you are I not going to go to today, but then I didn't fall asleep. I had one of those pesky cases of insomnia and then I couldn't fall asleep mm. until like 7 a.m. Oh my goodness. So I was supposed to go this afternoon, but I didn't make it. <laughs> I wanted to go see it on Friday, but, like, with the goddamn summer, all of these hooligans were out of school. So they all went to the matinee and it was sold out. And I was like, really? Really? Hooligans. You hooligans can't go later when, like, us old folk are back home? Yeah, go at, yeah, go at midnight or something where yeah. you can go drink uh, in the parking lot. Exactly. I know, right? That's what I'm saying. That's all I want. I just want some consideration. That's all I want. I'm for that. Bobby? I was sitting next to some... Younger folks who one of them fell asleep. I, I don't know how that's I had possible. somebody fall know. asleep on me once. Ew. <laughs> yeah. It's like, get off me, weirdo. Speaking like of during mo- Sherlock Holmes or something. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of movies, though, um, they announced a new Mutants movie this week as well. Yes. Um, Fox is going to be doing. We don't know any. We have no details. We know Josh Boone, who is writing and directing The Stand. Um, and he also did Fault in Our Stars yes. and something else as well for Warner Brothers, is doing the new Mutants movie. Uh, you know, I, I don't know much about the New Mutants. I, I know the series that was running when I first started reading comic books, like, you know, for this thing, which was like a Dan Abnett. And mm-hmm. I think it was pretty much a lot of the original cast of it, but I, you know, I, I, I know Lots of changes as the years went on. Yeah, sure. but Bob, just quickly, like, what's the big deal about the New Mutants? Well, once we had, this is Chris Claremont, Bob McCloud mm-hmm. from way back, this is actually Marvel graphic novel number four. Huh. was all of $4.95. <laughs> I think one was Death of Captain Marvel. You had had the X-Men had all grown up, and the whole idea of them being students at the school, they were there and hanging around, but, you know, 
they, this has been left back for three or four terms or whatever. Yeah. They were like the those losers that like graduated high school yeah. who just hung around right. all the time. The, yeah. yeah, they're standing out by the fence and, yeah. at, at the baseball field or whatever. <laughs> so it was a, it was a new set of uh, kids. So we had you know Mirage and Sunspot and Cannonball and Danny Moonstar and Wolf Spain and still Professor X. And again, recruiting a new class, and it, it was interesting dynamic. It was kind of soap opera as, as Claremont was wont to do. But they were fun characters doing different things in a different way. And you got, for those who had aged out of the X-Men, you got to see the all start again. So it was really nice to see the first class in a way. Lasted for years and years and years. And Magic eventually part of all this yes. sort of crew. And I... I I think someone, I forget what, maybe it was on John Burns' site, someone tweeted, and this team will be formed by Wolverine, probably? Because <laughs> you have to. And then someone said, no, maybe X-23 Yeah, well, I mean, this would be a nice... Yeah. This is the last, I mean, this is another an, tangent, but the Wolverine movie that's coming out after Apocalypse is the, Hugh Jackson says it's the last time he's playing the character. So, mm. I don't know. So he says. So he says. So he says. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, the rumor is also though that once these kind of two movies are over, kind of like the Brian Singer verse is going to be over. Like there's gonna they're gonna do something else with it. So I don't know what's gonna happen, but um, I can imagine him being like ninety, and being like, "I swear this is the last time." (laughs) Old man Logan. Yeah, old man Logan. Never again. See, (laughs) that's when he'll come back, and that would be pretty cool if, like, in twenty years or something. I, you know, I, he's the kind of guy, I think if you gave him that script and it was good, he would do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He seems to really love it, doing it. You know, who the other part of it, though, too, right, is that who knows where they go with this because there are these new mutants and then there's kind of the more modern, right. Liefeld-ish, the Cable, Deadpool stuff. Deadpool's getting his own movie, so I don't know. I don't think you see him in a new mutants movie. Mm. Um, but I wonder what team they're going to go with. I can't imagine that team doesn't include Magic. Uh, I would I would believe sure. definitely would be her, uh, but yeah I don't know I don't know what they're what they're thinking uh, we have we obviously don't know anything about it uh, except for you know directorial and writing mm-hmm. talent so it could be some of the smaller characters we've seen little bits of Blink and so mm-hmm. on and so forth and yeah there are a lot of things you can do yeah and if done well it could be a lot of fun mm-hmm. if done badly it could be a crap storm <laughs> it's a it's a little no mutant yeah crap yeah, storm. So- all right, so books of the week, Bob. Okie dokie. Lay it on us here. Okay. Well, I'll me apologize in advance. It's going to get mushy. Is this going to be another crying one? Yeah. Oh, come on, Bob. It's like two out of three weeks. Two out of three weeks. What can I? What can I say? I mean, I, I <laughs> the Marvel universe as we know it is coming to an end. <laughs> so what we have for this week is Captain Marvel number fifteen. It's Kelly Sue DeConnick, David Lopez, colors Lee Lowridge, and letters by Joe Caramanga. Now. You heard me talk about Thor number eight before, so as brilliant and beautifully emotional as, as that was, you know, my book of the week is still this, Captain Marvel number 15, which is the last issue in this volume before it's subsumed into Battle World and Hollow Field and the Carol Core series by Kelly Sue DeConnick, Kelly Thompson, and David Lopez, which starts next month? Yeah, June, I think, so. I think? Yeah. yeah. So just as the last volume ended with two issues that made me a total wreck, this curtain closer does much the same, concluding with a story wholly without super stuff, but one certainly still filled with emotion. Carol Daniels and Chewie the Flurkin Cat have returned to Earth after the long mission as the Avengers emissary into the far reaches of space, only to find that during her time off planet, one of her family of friends has passed away. Uh, farewell little to Carol 
is read aloud by Steve Rogers, which tells of life, love, friendship, and relationships with an emotional range that just covers every bit of the human spectrum. We're witness to people trying to overcome terribly sad events with both courage and humor in doing so, displaying that ability to get through a day when you feel that you can't, a feat which is more heroic and resonant than any battle with supervillainy. As Carol puts it, all you need to focus on is the next right thing. Now, Carol's mission may have reaffirmed her faith in herself, but I believe that in the moments depicted here in Captain Marvel 15, she's reclaimed her past, which was so fractured during the Enemy Within events, as she lost every bit of her memories and friendships and what the relationship were, and that's back here. The art by David Lopez draws you into each character's heart, whether in bold strokes or a subtle expression. Color palettes chosen by Lee Lowridge for the various settings are masterful, and of course, there are formidable talents of Ms. DeConnick at play, who shows that despite there being only one panel of action, a tale can have as much forward momentum as any event comic, yet she always makes time and space for honest human emotions, never more evident than the final pages, and capped by a poignant and touching afterward. <sighs> Here we go. <laughs> I don't even have a drink yet. We're going to have another one after, I think. <laughs> as this second volume of the relaunched and repurposed Captain Marvel comes to a close, we can't yet know how the events of Secret Worlds will affect the series moving forward. But as one whose history with Carol Danvers goes back not only to the original Ms. Marvel in 1977, but to 1968's Marvel Superheroes number 13, it's been a privilege reading these 30-odd issues by Ms. DeConnick that have fulfilled the promise of a bold new superheroine that was emblazoned on that first Ms. Marvel cover, and which created for me and for so many others not only wondrous comic book moments, but are here to embrace, celebrate, and rally around. We may not be able to speak about what awaits Captain Marvel, but I dare say that some years from now, when comic historians look back at the modern age, they will note that this series, this character, and this writer were at the forefront of the seismic shift in how female characters were presented, and when the first step was recreating the diversity in comics and comic book fandom. My thanks to editor Stephen Wacker, Ellie Pyle, and Santa Aminat, artists Jamie McKelvey, Dexter Soy, Emma Rios, Felipe Andre, Joe Canonis, Jordi Belair, and of course Ms. Kelly Sudakonic for making all this reach for something higher, further, faster, and more. So Stephanie, you have to follow that up. <laughs> oh, good. Wow. <laughs> thanks, Bob. Welcome. Let's make it a little easier on you, Stephanie, and let's get let's pull back Bob from the pure emotion that he's at right now. Um, the second volume, mm-hmm. you know, let's talk about the second volume. How, how did you, how did you like it compared to the the first? The first seventeen, mm-hmm. uh, I count two of those issues as among my probably top twenty single issues I've ever read. Seventeen mm-hmm. and fourteen, and this started, this volume started directly from that. And then we went somewhere else. We, we, we jumped in the middle of that storyline. We introduced the new characters. Mm-hmm. And I missed Kit and Marina and the whole crew on Earth. And yet, when we started getting into her, in Carol's mission and something else was happening, we grew a new little family. And that then when we came back for Christmas, the, the two Christmas Carol issues, mm-hmm. never <laughs> ever thought of that one before, <laughs> And it made you realize what you missed. And that's sometimes that absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. Was it the same? No. Was it as good? To me, yes. In a different way. They're both very different sorts of series. As the Marvel movies have been one of these and one of these and one of these, we had earthbound superheroics with deep emotion and uh, supporting cast base that really were Carol's team in her own way. She had the Avengers, but she had this team at home, whether it was Dakota North and Wendy and Frank and Tracy and all the rest of them. And now we had a new team that was every bit as marvelous and fun. We saw a different side of Carol 
but that was still informed by the one that came before. If this first volume didn't happen, this one couldn't. If we had stayed totally on Earth through this whole volume, this ending wouldn't resonate the way it does. And so if we didn't have 10 issues of Lieutenant Trouble and her mom, we may have moving forward. We don't know what's going to happen with Carol Core coming in June. We don't know how that's all going to play itself out or what comes next. I was happy to have some spacefaring Carol too. And we saw her military leadership, her bravery and courage on those larger scales as well, the personal ones, because it was still part of it here too. All right. Nice. Nice. All right, Stephanie. Oh, boy. Uh, All right. I'm sure that you will have everything as well laid out as Bob did in that in that Captain Marvel uh, review. Sure. <laughs> so, um, my book of the week is a book called Apocalypta Girl, an aria for the end times. Uh, so, this is actually debuting today. It comes out from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, I picked up uh, a copy of it early at TCAF, Dark Horse, and uh, the writer slash illustrator... Andrew McLean decided to uh, release it there as a way of getting everyone really, really excited, uh, which I was. I was very excited. This is actually one of the books that I have been most anticipating this year. Um, So I'm just going to read the back here and then I'll get into it. So it's a sci-fi epic about a post-apocalyptic life and cat ownership. (laughs) Theme, a common theme. Alone at the end of the world, Arya is a woman with a mission. Trekking through an overgrown city with her only companion, a cat named Jellybeans, Arya must find an ancient relic of immeasurable power if she ever hopes to complete her quest. When a run-in with a creepy savage sets her on a path to fulfill her task, she'll face death head-on in hopes of claiming her prize, and if all goes according to plan, finally returning home. All right, so, first of all, I saw this comic, uh, like, previews for it sometime last year, and I didn't know what it was about. I didn't even know that there was a cat in it, uh, <gasps> but Andrew McLean's art just really, really caught my eye. Uh, his work is absolutely stunning, and I just fell in love with the whole um, look of this book. Uh, it's kind of like a mix of Paul Pope and Faith Aaron Hicks. Wow. Um and in the same sort of vein, like, if if you are a fan of things like uh, Battling Boy or The Rise of Aurora West, this will definitely, definitely be up your alley. Um, the whole, it's it's not like an all-ages book. It's definitely, um, I would say, teenager or above. Parental guidance definitely, um, <laughs> you know, is a thing. Is a thing? I don't know. Anyways. <sighs> this book was just really, really enjoyable from start to finish. And, um, you know, she's stranded on this planet with uh, these sort of savage people that are at war with each other. And she's kind of just caught in the middle of all of it. Um, and as I mentioned, she's trying to complete a mission, which you actually don't really know much about throughout the course of the book. Um, she has like this mech suit that she's been trying to fix. And she basically just talks to her cat a lot. Um, her cat's like the equivalent of like Wilson in Castaway, um, <laughs> except this this is alive, um, and she just wants to go home. Uh, she doesn't want to be, you know, in the middle of all of this, and yet at the same time, you can tell that she has this sort of weird appreciation for this place that she's come to um, accidentally 
live in and amongst. Um, it's deadly, but at the same time, there's something really beautiful about civilization being gone and, and overrun and, you know, just left to the whims of, um, I guess, like, for lack of better terms, like barbarians um, that all believe, you know, in their own separate thing, which causes their wars. Uh, yeah. And I just, I loved it. The colors, it's not a very long book. Um, it'll honestly take you maybe like maybe half an hour to read. I read it on the streetcar home. Um, but it's just absolutely stunning. The colors, uh, the story, everything about it. This, this character is just really awesome. And, uh, you know, she's, forced to make some really crappy decisions uh, in the name of survival. And um, yeah, I thought it was excellent. I talked to Andrew a little bit about it and he was saying, um, you know, Dark Horse was really great to work with. Um, we, we've talked about in past how, uh, you know, they put out beautiful, beautiful books, like especially those Hellboy um, editions and lots of other stuff that they do. This is a soft cover but he, Andrew was saying that they went to a lot of lengths um, to get, like, a high-quality paper that would, um, you know, help bring out the colors the way he wanted to. And, like, he was even talking about He's like, and, like, the paper that I chose, you know, ha- brings out that really, really awesome book smell. Um, you know, that one that kind of just, like, book lovers know exactly what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, you know, like that book smell, that new book smell. And um, he just like spoke really passionately about how well Dark Horse treated him and helped put this book together. And, uh, you know, it's only um, $9.99 in the U.S. or $10.99 in Canada. Uh, And it's well worth your money. It's excellent. Uh, I think it's definitely going to be one of the books that I talk about come the end of the year. Uh, uh, for the graphic novel category. So if you want to get ahead of that, check it out. It comes out today. Well, that means I certainly won't read it. So Shut up, Bobby. For letting me know. I looked at the <laughs> art because I didn't know how something could be the mix of those two people, uh, Theron Hicks and Paul Pope. Uh, but you're absolutely right. That is exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like I hadn't really made the Faith-Aaron Hicks connection. I'd been comparing it a lot to Paul Pope. But then you see the faces and yeah, they're the very... Faces. Faith Aaron Hicks, but mm. not quite Faith yes. Aaron Hicks. Yes. Um, but the very intricate line work going on there very, that reminds me of the Paul Pope stuff. Exactly. Like, yeah. it's just amazing. It's a really, really great read. Um, uh, you know, like, post-apocalyptic stuff has been done a lot, but I think this is um, a really great take on it. Uh, that doesn't really involve, you know... Like, how do we survive in this post-apocalyptic world? It's just part of the setting, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's, she's there, uh, and it, it, it's irrelevant. It's just a place where she's trying to complete her mission. Yeah. So, uh, I definitely, definitely recommend this. This is obviously why it's my book of the week. Um, make sure you check it out. Awesome. And what would happen if they met up with Vic and Blood from A Boy and His Dog? Hmm. Could be interesting. It could be a team up, a crossover. You should write that, Bob. Yeah, I think Harlan Ellison would be pretty mad at me. <laughs> I don't know. The uh, the apocalyptic girl universe will never be the same. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It looks amazing, though. Bobby pulled up the artwork. It does look really, really good. Yeah, it does look great. I'm I'm reading the back here, too. um, And uh, Michael Omin, he kind of compares it to Nausicaa. And I I can see that. I could see that. Yeah. Check it out. So uh, my book of the week is uh, Injection. Uh, Warren Ellis, Declan Shelby, and Jordi Belair. Uh, New image title and... I, I will say this right off the bat before we get into details about it. Uh, I don't know quite what the hell is going on, <laughs> but I really, really enjoy what mm. I'm, I, I, I have been reading. So the story uh, is about our main character, whose name is uh, Maria, and she's the head of this this team that, and this is this is this is why it's it's stuff to talk about and why I don't know what's going on because. You know, you get the idea. You meet her. She's in a mental institution for some reason, but she's obviously not like super bonkers. Like she, she seems like it's either part of some test or she just had sort of a breakdown, and she is being called back in to uh, to investigate this issue. Like I'm not speaking because I'm speaking vaguely. I'm speaking because right. I, I, I don't, don't know, know. <laughs> what, what 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 exactly is going on. So she's called in and she's kind of trying to reassemble her team. And while you're seeing the, the, the present stuff, you're seeing backstory on the people and their kind of first meeting. And, you know, even the company itself was this like, food company in Korea that moved to America and became hmm. sort of like a conglomerate that does science stuff, but also does seemingly like secrety agent stuff as well. And, Whatever this team did when they were first together, they did something. It's that story where they did something, they unleashed something, they opened Pandora's box, and whatever that thing was uh, is kind of coming back to bite them now. And this is what it's all about. Some stunning, some stunning visuals by, by Declan Shelby. I think that there are, there's one scene in particular where uh, our main character walks into this room and it's sort of like this Doctor Who situation where she walks in this, what looks like a little room, she walks in, it's this ridiculously huge, unbelievably epic landscape, and, and she reacts much the way that uh, you would react as the reader <laughs> to, to the situation. So, you know, I, you know, I have, my past with Warren Ellis, I, I love Next Wave, and I've loved some of the other stuff that he's written, the recent stuff I haven't really been super into. I thought that his first issue of Moon Knight was very good, and then I just didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get sucked into the other issues. Trees was just a little bit too. The some reason that that bizarrity of that story didn't draw me in. But here I, I'm, I'm really engaged in what's happening, and, and I, I can't wait to see what happens next. Stephanie, I know you read it because you were going to talk about it in your lightning round. How I did was. you feel about? How did you feel about it? I really liked it. I thought it was a. Really interesting concept. Uh, again, like super high concept, uh, but I love the team. Uh, and it wasn't so overwhelming. Like it wasn't like nameless kind of confusing. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> and it left me intrigued to kind of check out more. Yeah. So. Well, the difference is like this is like, we're just not going to tell you things and we're going to fill you in later. Nameless is like, we'll just tell you everything, but you won't understand what we're telling <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. That's the difference between the two things. We're basically going to speak a different language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was just really engaged and intrigued by by what was happening. I think what we get of the characters, even though it's it's not a lot for each character, I think all of them seem uh, 
compelling. Compelling, exactly. And the dude's I, cool. Like I, I want to yes. understand what they're like. There's clearly words that we know that mean <laughs> things that like that aren't the same to us. Like yes, you know uh, how um, I'm trying to think of. You know, uh, never mind. Just <laughs> I'm trying to think of you know um, an example of what I'm I mean. You know, like. <laughs> And I can't think of it. I'm I'm trying to think of an example that goes along with uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but There's something that she happening. says. She's on the phone talking to one of her former teammates. She says, I got sent to Saw Lung again, which is the mental institution that she was in. Uh, look, I'm being sent out on another acquisition failure. And I don't trust FPI, which is the organization with the data processing. I have no idea what an acquisition Listen, failure yeah. is. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and they call the dude um, something else. Like, it's like he's, like, it's a really basic word to us, but to them mm-hmm. it clearly means he's, like, a goddamn magician or something. Right, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. I like it. Uh, I- I'm interested to see where they go with it. It's ongoing, correct? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you never know how long War Analysis is going to write yeah. anything, so... It, it, I would say it says they haven't said like this is issue one of six, but if it goes past six issues, I will be surprised. I'll, <laughs> I'll put it out there right there. Trees is still going, isn't it? Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know how many issues Trees is at at this point. I feel like it's at issue nine. Oh, really? So yeah. I stand corrected yeah. then. Stand very corrected. But it also, it separates itself from what we talked about before, which is it's not just a science fiction book. It's not a post-apocalyptic movie. It's occupying some other some more in Ellis space some more in Ellis <laughs> space but even like if you bear if you dig down to its bare bones it's very much a it's like a know, black science world yeah you know it, it it's very much a we're a team of scientists but we're a little bit extra normal you know it's got like a, almost like a torchwood type of vibe to it in uh. some ways you know where there's obviously extra normal things happening but the the issue has apparently no interest in really telling you what those things are or what people really are doing. It's very good at, at just a lot of narration, but the narration conveniently drops away when it could explain to you what is happening in separate scenes. But for me, it's that right kind of uh, confusing or that right kind of mysterious where it makes me want to know more. It doesn't frustrate me about uh, that. I'm not getting everything out of the pages that that I'm reading. It's You're mysterious, not you. annoying. Yes. yes. There you go. Exactly, exactly. And I will say I just love Declan Shelby's art. I it's just it's just a great artist. Yeah, it's the it's, Moon Knight team, isn't it? Yeah, it is the Moon Knight team. And I will say too, it's funny because you know, you read something and you read it in your head and like your voice and all of these people are British or Scottish or or, or from right. Wales. And it wasn't until they point out at one point they go, "Oh, Dublin girl" because she's like this one girl like curses at them or something. And I'm like, oh, they're not. Spe- they're, they're meant to be speaking in other accents, <laughs> but it's just weird because when it's o- only when they it gets called out that you think, oh, this is not, this is not sound the way it sounds in my head right now. Reread <laughs> exactly, but I can't read it in, in like all those different accents. I don't know how to. Uh, needs to be a motion comic with yes. a soundtrack or something. Absolutely, absolutely, but very cool, very very cool stuff. Speaking of cool stuff, let's talk about our book of the week. Ah, we're going right to it, eh? Yeah, let's go right to it. Well, oh, we have other okay. stuff we can talk about. We'll talk about that after we talk there about this we stuff. There we go. Okay. It, God. Sorry, what's up? What's up? What's wrong? I know. I was like, good God, more stuff to talk about There's after that. So much yes. stuff. Well, we gotta, well, Bob and I are going to talk about Mad Max. I'm sorry you haven't seen it, but we're going to have to talk about it. Okay, well, I'm <laughs> yes. leaving because I don't want to know. We're not going to spoil anything. No. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's got cars. But it has comic book relations because Brendan McCarthy is, is, is the co-writer and he's a comic book artist. So it relates. But we're not talking about that right now. Right we're, now we're talking about yeah. Harrow County, our shared book of the week from Dark Horse. It is Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook. Cullen Bunn, we've discussed before. Tyler Crook, uh, BPRD. Yes. Does that. And they also work together on a creepy story, mm. which I didn't know until I looked it up. <laughs> so the quickest way to, to tease this is to read you what the solicitation was. So Emmy always knew that the deep dark woods surrounding her home crawled with ghosts, goblins, and zombies. But on the eve of her 18th birthday, she learns she is connected to these creatures and the land itself in a way she never imagined. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's really all you need to know to jump right into this. Uh, though you get a, a lovely little front piece by Cullen Bunn about hints. Hmm. Because this is, uh, we open on Harrow County history. It's a very, very old, ancient place and the best tradition of Beerson, Hawthorne, Lovecraft, whatever. And we're told of Hester Beck, whose work as a healer has been made possible by some bad connection she's made in the past. I'll leave it at that one, some supernatural doings. And her neighbors have turned on her. And so they then shoot, stab, beat, hang, and burn her. And she's still making curses at them. And she's going to return. And if you've read Beerus and Lovecraft and Hawthorne, those kind of people, maybe they can even do it. So we cut to the future. And, and Emmy's a farm girl. And she, she's having all these dreams. And this tree that Hester had been hung from, burned, buried into, is trying to shake itself loose out of the ground and pull itself up. It has this sort of Venus flytrip-looking mouth thing going on in the, the hollow of the tree. Just really, really scary stuff. And she she's seeing things in the room. That, you know, that she wakes from those night terrors and there are people in the room. But maybe they're not, but who knows? Um her, the, the livestock on her farm are now being born sickly and dying, and she wanders out, and her father is about ready to shoot this, this calf, and sort of a miracle happens. And then we get some deep conversations. The local peddler comes by, and there's some other talk about what's moving forward. I'm going to stop, mm. because I don't want to spoil anything <laughs> from this point on. But Next morning, after all these events, Emmy takes a walk through the woods, and they are scary, <laughs> scary woods. And she's not alone in the woods. Mm. There's a strange little boy. Mm. And that's where I'm ending. This, uh, I thought this was a really engaging first issue. Just enough setup that you get the place and the feel, and beautifully crafted narrative captions here. So you really understand who Emmy is in the world she's running towards perhaps is, is the way to put this uh art uh by tyler crook is absolutely perfect for this story you get the innocence of a young girl because there's some cartoony aspects to it but when it's scary it is really really scary i love the heck out of this but i think it's one of our not because i picked it i think it's one of our <laughs> best our best books of the week so far mm. uh yeah i mean i i feel much the same way you did about it i think that i think the th this fits I think nicely into um, the avoir of like chilling tales of Sabrina mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I think that there is something really great about this story. Uh, the art is perfect for it. Like you said, it, it's got this almost storybook quality. It's more detailed. It's grimmer. It, 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 ha it has more dynamism than that, but 
on its surface, if you look at it, it's it has a very picturesque quality to it. Like this is this could be the art in a wonderful little tale about a New England, yeah. uh, you know, village where everyone's happy and things are going on. But this is not what we get here. No. Right? We get this very disturbing story, and it it has that Americana sense to it that I absolutely love. It's got that you mentioned those great authors. It's that stuff where you can feel, you know, there's something about small New England towns or small Pacific Northwest towns that these stories just seem at home in them. There's a history here to this. That's the only thing I like about it too is that you feel like this town exists. So, you know, not just on this page. You feel like it has a history. Things have happened there. Very bad things have happened there. And you also get a sense of character. Uh, you know, you get a sense that something very bad is coming for, for Emmy, right? You you know, either she's going to be taken over, but you don't know, you don't know what it is. I'm not spoiling anything. Yeah. You don't know what it is. Something bad is coming, and in just these few pages, I feel like you get to know her well enough, and you like her so much that I am dreading whatever is going to come, yes. and that's the mark of a great you know, a uh, gothic type horror story is that these characters are, this main character is very likable. She She's very sympathetic. And there's just this thing that's not her fault that's creeping towards her. And you just don't know what is going to happen. Uh, I, th- I think it's great. And I think that we met, we were talking before about books that are good read altogether and be- books that are good read issue to issue. And this feels like a great, issue to issue book to me each issue gives you enough and is compelling enough at least in this first one to make you want to to make you feel like you got something whole but also you're part of something bigger and uh, i think it does a great job like that it's over it's back to front just a great book the backup story is yeah. chilling and, and really nice as well and the essay at the back by cullen bunn is also is also really good uh stephanie what did you think of harrow county i really liked it uh it reminded me a lot of uh, I think, Bobby, you said Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it kind of mixed with Rachel Rising. Uh, yeah, I got oh, yeah. serious Rachel Rising vibe from it as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a different story, but mm-hmm. it very much has that sort of uh, dark take on the supernatural. And obviously, you know, a lot of stuff is, when it comes to supernatural, uh, dark. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is sort of an all-new kind of dark. Because like you said, like... Uh, Emmy is very sweet and very innocent. She hasn't lived her life. And you're kind of already mourning for what's going to happen to her because you know nothing good is coming. <laughs> yes. Um, something wicked this way comes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like I just, it actually a little bit too, uh, again, Rachel Rising, Chili Adventures of Sabrina, and even a little bit of Vanessa Ives's story from Penny Dreadful. Um, and especially if you've seen the new season and the most recent episode from Sunday, um, there's a lot of those sort of tones uh, as, you know, uh, witches are getting into Penny Dreadful and Sabrina is obviously, you know, witchy. Uh, and yeah, I, I thought it was really well done. I liked the art. I liked the style. Um, I believe Tyler Crook is one of those uh, Portland fellows and... He kind of reminded me of Emmy Lennox's art, but like creepy, the creepy version of it. Um, Like hers is like delightful and sweet. And then his is like foreboding. 
but they have that same sort of watercolor-esque style to their uh, work. So I thought it was really interesting and intriguing, number one. Uh, Mara was raving about it on Misfits this week, and she loved it. And, you know, if she loves something that's spooky, you know it's good because she's a wimp. I can say this because she knows it's true, and I say it with belovitude. Uh, I'm also a wimp. So, you know, if I can enjoy a horror story without wanting to go, like, cry in a corner, that's good writing. Uh, I I thought it was really well done. And Cullen Bunn is just, he's just, right now he's proving that he's going to be someone that we aren't going to forget in the comic book industry. You know, he has such a wide variety of, stories under his belt at this point that anything that he he's he's a creator that I want to follow because anything that he is like oh I'm gonna write this and I'm like I want to read this like everything is so different and interesting so yeah keep absolutely. It up. I mean he's Champ- I mean he does scary stuff he does funny stuff he does you know superhero stuff he does villain stuff yeah he, and he, like he, yeah I mean Wolf Moon I just finished that up and again the empty man I, I feel like maybe horror was uh, maybe his first love hmm. and Fearless Defenders, uh, you know, is the sort of which one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> uh, but it's still all enough. There's enough variation between them that it's all enjoyable and all new and fresh. So, yeah, I mean, you should check out some of the sixth gun, which is the first thing that he really did. In the comic book world, which a is bomb tool, yeah, uh, and he, I, you know he, he you can tell he's a good writer because he took books like he did that Magneto book, which I was very skeptical about before reading it, and turned it into something super interesting and something that I want to read every month, uh, which is a very tough thing to do. And I think that here he, you know, I had seen he'd been putting a lot of preview pages out for it. He seemed he seemed very excited about it before it came out, and uh, you know, obviously it's something he's proud of, and he they absolutely should be both him and Tyler Cook should be very proud of this because you know i think you know we all it seems we have witches are on the brain lately as well obviously we've got sabrina we've got witches we've got this and what i think that this does better um than than witches did which i still think is a great series but uh, the your way into the story um this character you feel worse for this character than anyone in, in that other series, right? You have, immediately in this first issue, you already have someone to connect to that you that you want to root for, and that you're scared to see, you know, come to any harm. And I, I, the way it doled it out, I think, is it, it was really smart. And that sort of like last image is very striking and very mm-hmm. scary. Um, and also, he does a great job. That image is also is not confusing, but mysterious, right? Because he does a good job also holding back. Because we get that beginning, like you mentioned, where the, the witch is being um, is being killed, and, and you know she says that she will find a way to come back and, and to take them. But you don't, you don't know what's happened in the years in between. Yeah. You also don't know exactly why. You know they're watching Emmy, and they and you don't know exactly why. Like why is what was the have they seen other things happen over the years so there's a lot of history here that we don't know yet um and and like i said that backup story is just it's so simple but it's terrifying it's nasty yeah it's a nasty piece of work in in what in what it does 
So just back to front, like I said, great, great, great book. I can't recommend it enough for people. If you if you like Americana, if you like horror stories, uh, if you like good suspense stories, if, if you're into anything like that, I think you'll you'll really, really enjoy it. Yeah. Do we have any comments oh, yeah. on we this one? We got a lot of comments oh, on good. this one. We got a lot of comments on, on, on Harrow County. <laughs> it's, good, it's good to have you back, Stephanie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> loading up Twitter here. Let's see here. TC Book of the Week. All tweets. Here we go. So this is from uh, Christopher Calloway, uh, who says, Harrow County was creepy and the art pitch perfect for a horror story. Glad it was my rack impulse buy for last week. Uh, Mike, who's at Liberal Bastion, says, it was good, creepy, cool art. I'll pick up the next one. Um, So uh, 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 Carol Channing Tatum says, it was a great opener, beautiful and creepy, with a moment of true horror near the end. I wasn't inclined to go into the woods before. Between this book and witches, forget it. Um, this is uh, Hubert who is at Stimuli File says Harrow County was a little slow for me kind of feels like Witches for Kids with the art being very Highlights-esque love the ending though um, let's see here uh, Sammy Cassell has enjoyed uh, Cullen Bunn's Harrow County love the children's book type art and the creepy story everyone fears haints um, Henry Arnold 6 says really enjoyed Harrow County I don't read many horror comics but this one certainly left me wanting more great storytelling uh, at Tim Vargulish says, loved it from start to finish. Great art, interesting story, and a rich atmosphere of rural horror. Excited to see where it goes. Um, at Just Drew VG, who's Music City Comics, says, truly love Harrow County. Bun's knack for creating mythos with Crook's whimsical yet terrifying style forms one hell of a read. Um, at A-G-G-R-G-I says, loves Cullen Bun books, and this feels a lot like a Cullen Bun book. Love the colors. <laughs> Uh, at Dr. Wayne Scott says Harrow County creepy and beautiful my kind of comic loved Tyler Crook's work on Bad Blood but he's even better on this title. There we go. There we go. Um, so thank you guys so much for getting back and, and letting us know uh, what you thought of Harrow County uh, number one. Uh, next week we are going to be it's my pick and we're going to be doing A Force number Ooh. one uh, for Marvel Comics. Uh, it's a little publisher you might have heard of. It's a tie into this this you know very boutique series called Secret Wars. <laughs> so um, very excited about that one. Uh, the Vance review has been popping up today before we recorded, and they've been all overwhelmingly positive. Oh, so I'm excited to check that out and uh, see what I think for myself. Um, oh, actually, before I get move on, we got an email from someone about <gasps> Harrow County because they said it was too good to just write a tweet about. So I got to pull, I got to pull that mm. up here. So this is from Joe state and says a few weeks ago, at the end of uh, Abe Sapien, there was a preview for Harrow County. I normally skip these things, but the cover alone had piqued my interest. I was really impressed with the preview and knew I had to pick it up. That being said, I came into the book with very high expectations and left wanting more. I feel like they really nailed the eerie atmosphere and sense of dread. I generally don't get creeped out by things, but the end of this issue was really something special and gave me chills. This and witches show me that if it's done right, horror can absolutely be done right in comics. Keep up the great work. Love the book of the week. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Um, and we love you. So yes. we appreciate uh, an old-fashioned email. An old-fashioned email, Bob. <laughs> Those not any of these newfangled Twitters. Twitty things or whatever yes. Um so now we're gonna spoil Mad Max for Stephanie. I uh, will cut you, Bobby. No, we won't spoil it. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Uh but uh and Bob it was and I good. Both saw- great, cool, carry on. <laughs> yeah. 
This is very true. Yes. Bob and I both saw it uh, this weekend. And uh, Bob, I I have never seen Mad Max or The Road Warrior. Really? Yeah. I saw Thunderdome when I was six years old or seven years old. I don't even remember it. I remember like some imagery from it. I think I remember it more because there was also a music video for it that had imagery from the film and in that we don't need another hero yeah, yeah and in go. that california love music video that they like you know recreated it and so i know the imagery of that movie but i've never seen mad max or road warrior it just wasn't something that my my guess my parents didn't watch them or they watched them and didn't love them so there it wasn't one of the movies that i was introduced sure. to um so i have never seen any of them uh and so i went into this completely cold but uh but you our, knew the concept well yeah yeah, yeah. so everyone knows the shape. concept yeah. uh post-apocalyptic wasteland in Australia is basically yes. the, the idea of it. Bob, were you a fan of the movies before? Yeah. No, I I have to say I saw Mad Max dubbed into American the first time I saw it on television. It, it was, of course, made in Australia with Mel Gibson, George Miller, who directed that original Mad Max, directed this one too, and all the ones in between. And I guess they felt the American audiences didn't wouldn't understand Australian. <laughs> Which is just crazy, and it was—it's hard to watch that way. It's out now, properly, and there are there are actual flashbacks within this movie as Max has flashes of his past life. Because when we first see him here, he is mad. Mm-hmm. He, you know, yeah. he's not doing well for, for all sorts of reasons. So you get to see the things that led him to that point. They're bits and pieces of that first movie. That's his original. Ford Interceptor from mm. the first movie in 1979. We get glimpses of Mad Max as he's now sort of accepted this new role as sort of the protector of the wastelands or whatever you want to characterize him as, which led into the third one. And here, I'm not going to spoil this, Stephanie. I promise. I <laughs> promise. He has a lovely arc, as he, which he may not have ever really had in the other ones. Maybe a little bit in Thunderdome where he changes his outlook some is more indiana jones than anything else here there's a real physical change as well as emotional ride he goes on no pun intended <laughs> he's in really dire straits here as he has been in the other ones but here maybe even more so and that plays well to Tom Hardy's strength as an actor because mm. he's very good under duress. Let's just put it that way. And he shows that off here. We're introduced to a ton of other great new characters, Furiosa among them. It's you know, it's very easy to say this is a Mad Maxine movie. Yeah. <laughs> but she, Charlize Theron. Theron? Theron. Charlize Theron. I think Theron. Theron. We'll go know. with Theron. I don't know. Oh, well, I mangled her name. I apologize yeah. <laughs> if she's listening. She's just fabulous here. The, the settings incredible just just using that landscape it is so much practical stuff here mm-hmm. there's some cgi there's a huge storm that you see in the trailer and one little bit at the end that goes a little cgi happy the stunt work the cars the stuff that gets wrecked and this is directed by a fellow who just turned 70 yeah <laughs> amazing old-fashioned this division sort of screen just widescreen imagery and it's all important you choose what you want to look at just Cars and trucks everywhere. I'd still like to know where they get all these parts and where they get all this <laughs> gear they're wearing, which is, you know, it's a great joke and all, but fabulous action movie. It doesn't have the densest plot, 
but it's a really lovely clothesline to hang some wonderful scenes on, and it's filled with interesting ideas. And once there, you start to hit the payoffs, it all blossoms. Mm. I love the heck out of this movie. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's odd because it doesn't share anything plot-wise in common with this movie I'm about to say, but it, it really reminds me a lot of Gravity because it's one idea just taken completely to its extreme. Uh, it, it's, not yeah. a, it, it's not about complicated plots. It's not about subplots. It's not about, it's not about developing characters through anything else except for the way that they react to the situations that they're put in. And it, and it also is much, very much like it because it's just a r- experience. There, there are very few movies, I think, that are as pure an experience as Mad Max Fury Road is. And I've been talking a lot with, you know, like Brad and my friend Brian and you know, talking movies. And we've been, we've been talking about the movie a lot. And, you know, we, we, we started bringing up movies like Aliens and Die Hard and stuff like that. And, you know... How does this movie stack up to to those movies? And I never thought that for me, I would there would ever be a new movie that came out that I would even start putting in the conversation with those which I think are the best action movies you know ever made. Uh, I think on a pure action basis, it's one of the best action movies I've, I've ever seen. I, I was thrilled from beginning to end by it. Like you said, the movie is not interested in dynamic pl- plot things it's a very basic plot but it does what so few movies do which is that or so few stories do in general which is that it is completely successful at every single thing it attempts to do it never fails anything it tries to do um and for me so for me there's not a false note in the movie do i like it as much as as movies that have more do complicated plots well no, it will never be that movie for me, but uh, I think it does so much with so little dialogue. And I heard I interviewed George Miller after I saw the movie where he talked about how really he wanted to make it as close to a silent film as he possibly could and that he wanted to convey as much emotion and character as he could without lots of talking. And that was always their rule when, when they were going about it. And absolutely, Charlize Theron as Furiosa is amazing. And... You know, she is a, like a to me like a new Ripley type of character. That we we've been waiting for that type of character for a very 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 long time, and, and I think we finally have a, another one. Uh, she is just so awesome in it. She's just so badass, and, and I love the way that her and Max's mutual trust and and friendship kind of blossoms naturally throughout the course of the movie. It's it's not about like. Oh, she does something that makes him go, oh, I, I should trust this person. Or he does something that it's just you, you get this and there's this understanding between that. OK, this is another person who isn't completely gone, like who isn't mm-hmm. rotten to their core. There's something good about this person. And, and, and I think they they bond o- o- over those moments. Yeah, uh, what was a marriage of convenience turns yeah. into something a little more as Absolutely. we go on. Absolutely. You know, because th- th- there is a choice given to Max at a certain point and he has to choose whether or not he can do one thing or the other. And without that bond, he wouldn't have, you wouldn't choose the thing he chooses, you know? So there's, there, there is that to the film. And I think that, uh, you know, even the, 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 the kind of five brides characters are given, they're not given a lot of dialogue. No one has a lot of dialogue in the movie, but they never, they don't feel like afterthoughts, right? 
And I also heard George Miller in the same interview. He talked about when you do a movie, he's like, every mo- there, there can't be a wasted moment in the movie. Every action beat, every line, every movement has to serve the story or the character in some way. And when you watch that movie, you really you can really see that. And I think it's one thing that makes the movie stand out. It doesn't waste itself. It's not conflated. It's not overstuffed with things. It doesn't need to give you a, a, a subplot about something else going on somewhere else. It's very confident about what it's doing and how it's doing mm-hmm. it. And it's got uh, some of those ac- some of those action scenes are just unbelievable. Nuts is I, the only n- word I could nuts. use. And that's what I think too. Yeah. It's all nuts. And it's all unique. There's nothing about it that you go, oh, I've seen that before. There's no part. No. When there's a guy, like a, a guy with a deformed face on a bungee cord on a truck that has like 50 speakers on it playing a guitar that shoots fire. Yeah. You know that you've, you've wandered into something that's not your typical action. Well, movie. there are Cirque du Soleil guys yes. on giant poles swinging yes. back and forth with harpoons. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was really taken with I, again, I think could just because he's an older director, but the editing style. Mm-hmm. There's frenetic here and there, but he's not afraid to let the camera nope. stay in one place and let you take in the scene, let the things pass you by and then come back around again. Just lovely to watch, which because it could have been. It's George Miller. It was never going to be Michael Bay. Right. It was never going to be quick cut. Mm-hmm. You got to understand the choreography the geography of where they were, wide shots of this wasteland, and just a, just cars and trucks, little convoy ahead of you, mm-hmm. very much John Ford Old West sort of thing. And the depth of emotion that comes when you realize that's, you know, this is what's left of the world, kind of. I had a very on-the-beach sort of moment. Mm-hmm. We get to that eventually, and it's, wow, they're, they're, you know, all this does mean something. This isn't just this chase. This chase was leading to something deeper and more mm. meaningful and it's it's there and yeah. i hope we haven't spoiled this for you step but you got to see this at least twice <laughs> i want to <laughs> i mean you, you, the expectation you have for it now must be like so wildly crazy because of, of everyone talking about it so well be- i mean yes. yes yes but still but i went in after the review started coming out i got this very like oh, it can't be that good yeah because <laughs> yeah. I, I was really excited about it and all the reviews started coming out and like oh it puts every action film to shame in the last 10 years. It reinv- and I was like, okay, yeah. And then I was starting to not, like I was almost going into it with that like arms crossed yeah, feeling. Show me. Yeah, show yeah. me how good you are. And then quickly my arms uncrossed and my mouth just went gaping open. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the opening sequences. Oh, yeah. In, in the caves, it's mm. just scary and weird. It's weirdly shot. Yeah. Oh, yes. Definitely. And it's, a, it's missing frames almost. Yeah. And eventually you realize why. It's... Mm. I yeah. won't say anything. Mm. I made a gesture yes, that no yeah. one can see because this is radio. <laughs> but it now, I are they projecting this wrong? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's, that's what yeah. they're doing here. I know we didn't even mention Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt's great. Um, he's not blue. No, he's not blue. One. And he's not about a boy. Somebody, yeah. He is very odd and strange. Um, but it's just, it, there's something about the entire movie and the entire design of the movie and it, it does. The one of the things about it is that the characters are so well designed. They look so interesting that even if you don't get a lot about them, y- there's a connection to them. Mm-hmm. Like the because uh, like I haven't seen their movie. So immortal, immortal Joe, who is the leader, kind of the yeah. leader of the bad guys, who I guess is in the first Mad yes. Max movie, uh, which I think is a mate. That's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, you know, 
I, I you don't get much with him. Like you get you get little little snippets with him. You get an overall idea. You see other people react to him, but just the way he's designed, you're like, this is such an intentionally designed character to evoke a very specific feeling and emotion in you. And you know, one thing about it is, I was talking to Brad about it, my friend Brad, and I said, and he said, you know. He, he, he loved it. He's like, but there's not a lot to talk about with it, right? Because there's not that much going on as far as all this crazy story stuff. And I think that's true. But I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I walked out of that theater. It's like all I've been thinking about. And I just want to go back and watch it again. Because it was just, it, it just such an experience. It's definitely one of those movies that I'm going to watch over and over again. Once I have it in my, in my house, it's going to be one of those movies where I just, oh, it's Sunday morning. I'm just going to put on Mad Max because yeah. I just want to sit back and just enjoy the ride. And movie. for people who haven't seen the other three movies, then mm. they go back a very long time now. Yeah, it's great. It might help. It's unnecessary. I mean, I, so yeah. I I came away absolutely enchanted by the movie, and I've never seen any of the other yeah. ones. I really want to watch the Road Warrior now. I understand that is the best one of the yes. of the three. That's the one I think that people say holds up the best now and all that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely going to watch the Road Warrior, but uh, uh, but yeah, you don't have to see the other ones to, to get into it. No. Uh, really great, and I also read. I, they talked about you know the, the the Mel Gibson of it all, how he's not in it, and George Miller said, you know, I love Mel. We're still good friends, but if people, if Mel Gibson was in the movie, people would be taken out of it immediately. They would not be thinking, oh, we're watching Mad Max. I'm like, oh, Mel Gibson is in this movie. Yeah. Remember when he used to be really famous and cool? Like that's that's what, kind of what he was. People he was afraid of, so that's why cast Tom Hardy in it. Good choice. Good, very good choice. He has a little bit of the Bane voice in it. Yeah, it looks kind of like him for a <laughs> yeah. while in the, in the movie. Hmm. I, the inventive nature of these the various trucks, whatever, how this society has come back together. Mm-hmm. Back in the old movies, it, it was about gasoline. Yeah. And now it's not. They seem to have found a new yeah. source for it. Well, they, they mentioned Gastown. Gastown, yeah. And that's all you need. You mm-hmm. see some refineries and smoke coming up. So it's mm-hmm. Gastown and the Gas Boys and yeah. whatever. <laughs> and. The, the truck that, that uh, Furiosa is driving around in, it's the body of a tanker truck mm-hmm. with this round pod r- rolling behind it for some reason. The cab is not a regular cab of a truck. It is an old Cadillac and like a 50 Mercury sort of welded together into a station wagon on a cab body. I don't know how you do that. I don't care. It works. Yes, it does. Internally, externally, however, and it's just there and wonderfully. The fellow with the guitar. Yeah. Trucks and spikes, those trucks that look like porcupines. Yep. I don't know what those were going on. Yeah. Harpoons that explode and <laughs> just um, someone, it's as if you, it's Jonathan Hickman's whiteboard. Let's write down screwy ideas. <laughs> Can we make that? Yeah. Does it make sense? In this world, yes, it does. Yeah. Check yeah. and just go and you, you don't even, yeah. you don't think, you just, you're just immersed. Yeah. And like I said, co-written by a comic book artist, Brendan McCarthy, co-wrote the screenplay and, and storyboarded the entire film. Oh, uh, I want to see the extra features. I want to see the storyboards. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, if people are hungry, if people saw the movie and they're hungry for more stuff coming out, there's a, actually a Mad Max comic coming out, This co-written by George Miller, coming out this week from Vertigo. Ooh. There's also the art book too, which is yes. amazing. That I, that's what, exactly what we're talking about. That I want the art book. <laughs> I was trying to tune everything out. <laughs> we didn't spoil. We didn't really talk about anything that no. happens. We just talked about kind of impressions of it. Stuff. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you this. Buy a large popcorn. <laughs> this is this is definitely a popcorn movie yeah. to the nth degree, and yeah. you'll just enjoy the ride. Yeah. 
it's it's actually impossible really to spoil it, Stephanie, because it's it's so experiential that it's even if I told you exactly what happened, it would not even it would not even come t- close to really telling no. you what happened. Uh, so yeah, and the other thing about this is that the movie is so good at just doing this amazing action stuff that it doesn't put it's not as it doesn't put all action movies to shame. But the movies it does put to shame are the movies that claim to be just about action and are yeah. kind of fatuous bullshit. You know that it, it, this movie proves that you can make a movie that's really just about like how freaking crazy can we can we make this action movie and it can still be a satisfying, entertaining film. It doesn't have to be two and a half hours long with robots peeing on people. You know, yes. it, it can be something else, and uh, that's just great. I mean, obviously. It's funny because George Miller made the Mad Max movies. He made Babe, Pig in the City. He made the Happy Feet movies. And I, I think which is Vicewick is his too. Isn't which is Vicewick yep. is his as well. Such a strange filmography, and to come back finally. I mean, I don't think he's done an action movie since Beyond Thunderdome. No, I don't believe so. Unless you count his Twilight. Actually, no, the Twilight Zone segments before. Yeah, That's, yeah, it's been the year before. So he hasn't, and he just come back and just be like, I'm. I am better than the, at this than any of you is is a, is a pretty amazing feat. Um, makes me sad we never how ever good about it was that we never got to see that Justice League movie that he that he was yeah. working on. Though I I came across a picture on the internet. There's a young lady in the movie named Megan Gale mm-hmm. who was his choice to be Wonder Woman. Oh yeah, and she's Wonder Womanish. She's Wonder Womanish and real bad yeah. news for people in the movie itself. She definitely definitely is. Um, so yeah, yeah, see, I brought it back to comic books there. I brought it yeah. back to Justice League. That's what you do. Um, Stephanie, is there any books that you're excited for that are coming out this week? No. No? You're not excited about anything? I actually haven't really looked. Um, well, it's, I, it's a shame. I, I, don't, I don't know. What is coming out this week? A-Force. A-Force, A-Force. which is our book of the week. That's One of the three comic I'm books I'm buying this week. Four. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Oh, Lumberjanes 14. Yes. Uh, the next issue of Eight. Oh, yeah, that's true. Excited about that, definitely. It's so good. I bet you I know which, something that Bob is excited for. And what's that? Sensation Comics number 10. Yes, that's <laughs> the second book of the three I'm buying this week. Yes. What is the third, Bob? Max. Shaft number six. Oh, okay. Oh. No, that's, that was last week. Was oh, week this before. one's a variant cover. Ah, but what is, I get to play catch-up finally, the second trade paperback of Velvet comes out Oh, this nice, week. nice. Oh, yeah. Um, um, there's a book from Boom Camille called Oh, Killstrike, which looks pretty cool. It's uh, Max Bemis, who, I can't remember the name of the book he did a few months ago, or last year. He's the, one, he's the lead singer of a band called Say Anything, but it's, it's like a love letter to 80s action oh. uh, and 80s comics. So um, I just want to, it looks, it, the art looks fun and, and it looks kind of crazy and I'm kind of in the mood for fun and crazy right now, so I'm in for that. Um, yeah, uh, there's. Let's see. There's any any of the convergence tie-ins ones that I'm I'm into. Oh, New Teen Titans, the second book is coming out this week, which I'm excited to read um, as well. Uh, there was a couple other ones too, um, as far as some some indie stuff that I, that I was looking forward to. Oh, Insufferable. They they they're collecting the Mark Wade uh, webcomic Insufferable. Oh. IDW is, and so I, I definitely want to check that out as well. Um, and uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which is based on uh, the Douglas Adams. Uh, again, I, I I don't know if it's going to be able to capture that humor perfectly, but I will give it a chance because if it can, uh, it will be something that I want to read every every month. Uh, uh, there was a comic book version of the Hitchhiker's Guide that didn't quite work. 
Just and, and it very well might not work, yeah. but I'm at least interested in seeing what it is. Uh, you were right, Stephanie. Trees is at number nine. Yes, I win. Nothing. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what you win, but... I'm also going to definitely pick up Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars. I was reading yes. the script oh, of Bob right. yes. before, and it doesn't take place... It's not a tie-in to this Secret Wars. It's a tie-in to the first Secret Wars from 1983? 84? 84. 84. Uh, where they, Colin, Colin Bunn is writing it, and he is inserting Deadpool into like storylines uh, from the 1984 book that he obviously wasn't even existed yet. So I, I, will, I look forward to that, because Colin Bunn's Deadpool work is always really, really funny. So I'm in for that. Because uh, put him into this Secret Wars, too. It's true. <laughs> well, uh, isn't there what Mrs. Deadpool and Mrs. the Howling Commandos? Commandos which yeah. I'm also, they also think looks pretty yeah. cool. That's one of those things I'm in. And there's a couple of the, the Secret Wars things that I'll probably give an issue to to see what I think of them. I'll, I'll, I'll at least kind of thumb through Planet Hulk and uh, uh, Ultimate End um, to see what, what those are like. And Kaiju Max number two comes out ah. as well, which I'm very excited for because I loved Kaiju Max number one. Anything else you're you're excited for, Stephanie? Uh, I you know what I have so much backlog that I'm really trying to limit the amount of things that I'm currently excited for. Is there anything on your backlog that you're looking forward to reading? Um, I want to read. I mean, I guess I want to read issue two of Gem and the Holograms and three that comes out. I've been catching up on Black Widow. Um, I'm going through all the Captain Marvel stuff. Uh, there's there's seriously so much. I picked up a ton of uh, Green Arrow stuff, like from oh, pre DC cool. New Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that, and I'm I'm gonna hopefully try and read Madame Xanadu. Oh, nice. Oh. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, get the Green Arrow Year One, the Jock Andy Diggle? I have read that. It's oh, you I loved read that. It. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, the entire first season of Arrow more or less is that. It's very much based on that, yes. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I loved it. Ooh, <laughs> Bobby, who do you think Diggle will be? Oh, um, I, it's not going to be Green Lantern, uh, but I think it's going to be the Guardian. I think that's who it's going to end up being. He's going to end up being. Because hmm. they said he's going to end up donning a mask. It's, they're very h- highly into that at the end of s- the season. So I, I think Guardian is who he's going to end up being. That's my guess. Hmm. What do you think, Stephanie? I don't know. I think it would be cool to be John Stewart, but like, yeah, I agree Lantern. with you. But, but I think he said that's that's basically not true at yeah. this point. Yeah, but the, I'm, I'm just going wishful thinking. <laughs> well, they've been uh, on the Flash and Arrow the last few episodes of the season. This is not spoiling anything. It's all like Easter eggy stuff. But they've been heavily referencing Green Lantern stuff. Um, and one of the issues, of the, uh, issues, one of the episodes of the Flash, they're at a Ferris Air, uh, like, uh. Um, and they, he's like, "Oh, I thought this place got shut down." And Barry goes, "Yeah, uh, one of their test pilots just went missing." <sighs> so Hal Jordan exists. Yeah, he exists. I don't, if he ever shows up, I don't know, but he exists in that universe. So I, I think it'll be really cool. I mean, I think there's as they kind of expand this universe with the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, I think there's room for those char- characters like that to pop up. So we'll see. Let's see what happens. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address. Make sure you head to TalkingComicBooks.com for all the news, reviews, columns, uh, like Logan Rowland's uh, Daredevil Consequences uh, essay that he put up, which was really quite excellent. Um, 
also uh, our bevy of podcasts talking valley just talking valley with Adam Shaw just had their anniversary and also congratulations to them a big congratulations to Adam himself who had a who had a baby oh and I completely forgot to congratulate him last week uh, but congratulations. Uh, We've got Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa, Chris Oliphant, and Nick Scalia. Uh, they had some scheduling hiccups, but they will be doing a Mad Max review of their own. That'll, I think, go up on Thursday of this week. Or the recording of Thursday goes up Friday. I don't know which one of those two things. It'll be up this yeah, week. Talk to them. They'll talk to them. Yeah, I I'm not their keeper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got The Misfits with uh, Stephanie Cook, Melissa Megan, and Mara Wood. Uh, Stephanie, were you actually on the show this week? I was. That's crazy. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we just did like a big recommendation show. We had Angela Fowler on and we had Maria Norris um, due to... Her uh, thesis stuff, she has been awake weird hours. So she was like, of course I'll be on the show. It's only like 1 a.m. <laughs> um, so she joined us and we just, you know, talked about things we loved and it was great. Cool. Awesome. Uh, talking games, uh, Justin Townsend, Steve Say, Jackie Turner, and Rob Newmeyer. Uh Steve's not here, so I have no idea what they're talking about this week. But I'm on the show this week, so if you guys oh. want to hear what they're talking about... Tune in on Thursday, because mm. I'll be on that show. Um, we also have our special edition feed, which features backup stories with Justin and Rob, and Comics and Coffee with uh, Nikki and myself. Both those shows air on YouTube on Friday, but if you want to listen to them in a podcast form, you can find them in that special edition feed, um, which is available on iTunes, Stitcher, all, all, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Uh, Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. Bob, email address. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Do you have anything that you would like to say before I, no. I take us out? No, if you're going to ask, I have nothing. Show, I, I have I'm nothing. Just, I'm just going to wait. I'm waiting the rules. Yeah, biding <laughs> your time. He really has like a whole list of he wants to talk about, and he keeps getting foiled because I, yeah. I keep asking. Curses. Every Foil week. again. <laughs> but yeah, so I am going to end the show so I can go watch The Flash. Um, I'm really excited about that. And I think next week we'll do... I think next week I want to do... We haven't done one in a while. I want to do a listener... Awesome. feedback show so mm-hmm. you guys uh the best places honestly are, are the twitter at talking comics use hashtag tc podmail or send us an email um to podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com uh if you send us an email just try to keep it brief because it's tough to sift through a big email for a question um if you want to write a long email question at the top a little space then you can write it to your heart's mm-hmm. content uh, but if you want your question right on air it just, just keep it brief for, for the actual email. We have a couple of the people who have sent in over the past couple of weeks that we haven't gotten to, so I'll put those in the queue as well. Uh, and we'll just do a good old-fashioned listener question show next right. week. So make sure you write in with those. But until then, that will be the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Bob. Good night, everyone. And Stephanie. I finally did a whole show. <laughs> I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs> <laughs>